We're all gathered here today to listen to a dwarf cast by Ganymede and Titan. Start the tape, please, Holly. Awoga, this is a dwarf cast. Hello, and welcome to issue 7 of the Dwarf Cast magazine rack, brought to you by Ganymede and Titan. This is the latest instalment of our ongoing mission to reread, digest, and dissect every single edition of the Red Dwarfs magazine, issue by issue. I'm Ian Symes, a Midlands working class twat, and as always, I'm joined by Northern working class twats Jonathan Capps. Are you legit? And Danny Stevenson. Hello. Today, we're talking about Volume 1, Issue 7, and as always, we recommend having the mag in front of you as you listen. If you don't have a physical copy, you can find a link to a PDF in the show notes on your podcast app or at www.ganymede.tv. But first, it's time to take a trip back in time to this issue's cover date of September 1992. The news was dominated this month by Black Wednesday, a catastrophic economic event precipitated by a failing Conservative government, which resulted in the pound tumbling in value, high interest rates and full-blown recession. Thank God those days are behind us. Ah. Heritage Minister David Meller was forced to resign after a tabloid revealed he'd been having extramarital sex whilst wearing his Chelsea kit. Just thought I'd give you that image to think about. (laughs) On the plus side, it was a great month for telly, with the launches of What's Up Doc, Channel 4's Gazetta Football Italia, Run the Risk, Astro Farm, and The Big Breakfast. Basically, I watched a lot of telly in September 1992. Uh, This month also saw the launch of Britain's first national commercial radio station, Classic FM. I did not listen to that in September 1992. When the magazine was released on the 27th of August, the top film in the UK box office was Mac McDonald vehicle Alien 3, and I'm as serious as cancer when I say that number one in the music charts was Rhythm is a Dancer. So without further ado, let's take a look at the cover, which promises psychotic simulants, despair squids, genetic mutants, mutton vindaloo beasts. I have a question. That is gone. What's the bear? The bear is a teddy bear. I think it's in the. It's one of the things he turned into. Yeah, but he didn't look like yeah. that. No, it, it, no. it, it oh, looks, that like looks like a sentient. <laughs> that looks like an yes. old bear. But it, that like... looks... <laughs> it looks like a nightmare. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, that is an incredible cover. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I mean, this is this is Colin Howard again. Such it is Colin Howard, although. You could only see half of his signature on it. There's also MKH on the right. Is that the is, is that who what? I don't know what that is. On the on the left hand side, it says MKH, and then it says oh, yeah. Colin Howard. I don't know what the. But yeah, it's uh, amazingly well rendered. <laughs> it's incredibly Probably detailed. The Look, there's a little it's, word. Yeah, it's just so yeah. It's it, it sort of pays due to the the model makers for how how detailed it was and how much we didn't really get to see. I was going to say that polymorph like that polymorph design is. Amazing! In it's one of way. the best things yeah. Red Dwarf has. Yeah, it's one of the best yeah. monster designs. I mean, like Red Dwarf, Red Dwarf Monster Den hasn't been shit. To be fair, like it's been pretty consistently good. Yeah, as the uh, first monster. And also, I should admit that the the design of the polymorph is basically H.R. Giger's design. Yeah, it's it's based on the idea of it being like an alien sort of, you know, like a, a and also the thing, I think as well, maybe like did sort of. Um, yeah, I mean, it is it is basically, but like. Also, not like the concept of mouth, the mouth in a mouth. To be <laughs> fair, that's that's Giga. We'll give him that. But I think everything else feels unique. I don't know the the little sort of wing arm things are very, they're, they're very. I don't know. There's a sort of type that I'm thinking about, and it's like that kind of 
sort of sinewy, muscular kind of penises. Look. Well, <laughs> it makes yeah. sense in universe because it's a it's Lister's fear, it's Lister's imagination. So he's yeah. cobbled that together from like different movie <laughs> monsters yeah. that he's seen over the years. Hang on, oh, don't tell me this is don't tell me this has just come to me now. Yeah, yeah I know <laughs> what you're gonna say. Is this only what the polymorph looks like because Lister thinks that's what a polymorph looks like? Yeah. That, I think so. Either that, that default, or it's that's a not its default shape. Either that or it's a it's a um, uh, a coincidence that he says like uh, like uh, a coincidence for the sake of a joke. It's like what's your what's your most what's your greatest fear? And he just goes, "Well, this," because it just suddenly uh, appears in front of. Yeah, him, I th- so. that's what I always assumed. It was like yeah. he opened the thing up, this horrible thing came out, and he was like, "Whatever that is, that is my greatest fear. Whatever mm. the fuck that is." Yeah, and I just thought that was like that the polymorph kind of default state, you know. But then, the emo hook is a default state because it keeps on reverting back to yeah. like the little hand puppet <laughs> basically. <laughs> thing. And then in Can of Worms, when you see the dead yeah. polymorph, it's kind of looks like a cheap, a much much cheaper version of this. Well, it's supposed to look like that's the polymorph making itself look cheap for the sake of helping the production. That's two sequels that don't necessarily um, yeah. have the original ideas front and centre in the writer's minds. I'm still sticking to the thing that that's a that's a polymorph's default shape. Yeah. And mm. all the other stuff is just I think in um in the book we're led to believe that the a polymorph is almost like a floating around idea until it and it can only take the shape of sort of like Legion. Yeah, yeah. But also Kevin as well, the little mini version of the polymorph is also like a sort of a state of it as well. Like he's a yeah, maybe that's the default, <laughs> and yeah. the big version is just him making himself look big. Oh, right, do you know what? Yeah, <laughs> I like that. That's really yeah, good. I like that because they, he has the little tiny yeah. Oh arms. yeah, the arms are the same. Oh, I never thought about that. Cool. Yeah, so sorry if I mistakenly said that the big polymorph is the best design um, ever, uh, of a monster ever in Red Dwarf. When I actually mean is Kevin is the best design. <laughs> Kevin, I love the fact it's called Kevin. Yeah. That's, that's been just that's just been decided. <laughs> that's yeah. just, I love it, Kevin. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, the cover. Anyway, yeah. the cover. Yeah, it's a brilliant design. It's this is something I mentioned before, but it's now it, the style of the covers has evolved to actually look like a magazine. <laughs> Yeah. Rather yes. than just a bit of artwork with a logo in the corner, like having teasers of what's inside and and trailing features and and everything. This particular issue is iconic to me. For <laughs> there is somewhere in a future edition of this magazine a picture of Peter Rag reading this edition of this magazine, and as a lad, I had that picture of Peter Rag on my wall. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I didn't have this particular magazine, because uh, this was before I was into Red Dwarf, but in a future edition, <laughs> yeah. I have a picture of this magazine. So this is really evocative and nostalgic for me, even though I never had this particular Clo- the, one. The closest you are allowed to have porn on your walls. Huh? Like, <laughs> it's oh, just oh, Peter Egg. <laughs> pictures, yeah. Is that the one where he's wearing the, the jacket, the leather jacket? Yeah, he's got the Red Dwarf yeah. jacket. Yeah, I know, it's a, yeah. Peter Egg's um, next month, spoilers. Yes. But in the meantime, I like this. It's almost like we're we're building up to that just because of the you know because of the monsters feature, which of course we'll get to. Um, yeah, it's almost like laying the groundwork for people that might not be as tuned into the the effects side of things. Uh, just kind of giving a groundwork of just like this is Peter Rag's work and the model the Viz effects units work. 
we'll well, again, yeah, that's an example of how the magazine now is starting to feel more alive yeah. as well. Like yeah. there's a progression month on month, issue by issue. There's clearly thought going into it, and future plans are being made and are being worked on and being executed. And that is all, yeah, becoming obvious to the reader. Whereas the first few issues felt like kind of they'd be made in isolation of each other. Yeah. This now feels like it's a there's a structure and a pattern and a way of working. But anyway, the contents page now consistently calls it Red Dwarf's magazine. Gone is the red, last vestiges of Red Dwarf magazine. <laughs> and in the credits, uh, the people thanked include uh, Peter Rag, Bungle, George, and Zippy. <laughs> Lol. <laughs> No Jeffrey though. No, they fucking hated Jeffrey. <laughs> he was no help. <laughs> um, Rainbow actually finished much earlier uh, this same year. It finished in like February, March, uh, nineteen ninety-two. So really, they're belated with their thanks. Yeah. God, it finished as early as that. Yeah, oh. and then later they brought it back without Jeffrey. Oh uh, yeah, very briefly. And memorably, Jeffrey made an appearance on Fist of Fist Fun. Fist of Fun, yeah. Only that fact. <laughs> It's a fun, fun radio show, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, we've got individual credits as well. I can't remember whether we've had this before because we've usually had to kind of guess at who did what. Yeah, we now have them for the comic strips. We still don't have them for written articles. Well, well, yeah, apart from Jake Bullet, which I would k- take as yeah. a written piece. Um, yeah. We'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a bit of a hybrid of what we've yeah, had. Yeah, I guess so. so yeah, first. but yeah, of course, that the written pieces. But yeah, your, like... your factual articles, then your non-fiction pieces. You can kind of guess with the factual articles, but uh, as yeah. I was reading Jake Bullet, because I hadn't read this uh, this credit, as I was reading Jake Bullet, I said, "This is not our Thor Alliance, is it? <laughs> Absolutely." <this> is. <laughs> <laughs> I've only just noticed the joke at the bottom of the contents. Oh yeah, it says plub. <laughs> Club, quite a few type errors. Hmm, I think I've spotted one already. That's quite good. <laughs> uh, the the editorial is like addressing someone who might have accidentally picked up the magazine, which is kind of cute, I guess. Like someone who's picked it up thinking it was about alien, <laughs> and therefore like they're, they're doing the pitch of like, yeah, but you know, maybe you want to buy it. <laughs> it was good too. Stick with us, it's good. Yeah, stick with us, yeah. yeah. But if you were jumping onto the magazine at this point, your first thing you'd be greeted for is is uh, part four Complete of gibberish. Future Echoes. Future definitely, Echoes. definitely got to be the... 75. Definitely got to be the final part, right? Yeah, it must be. They can't possibly stretch this out for five fucking months. Yeah. It's, it's a good job, it's good, right? It's... I would say, of all of the ones to do a Comic-Con, this is the one... That is the strongest one to do it on. So they have picked a good one to do to, to stretch out into an idea. I'm very interested yeah. what happens after this because there's no fucking way they're doing balance of power. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe they did and only got to like I don't know part three before the magazine ended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think with future echoes, I would appreciate it a lot more. I think if I it was a trade paperback mm-hmm. and I was reading it all in one go, but as it is, being chopped up into a minimum of five parts monthly, um, and the way we're rereading them is pretty much monthly as well. Yeah. It's uh, it's getting in the way of it. Well, yeah. that is getting in the way for us because we've seen the episode, but you've got to remember that also yeah. it's brand new to a lot of people who've never seen it before, so 
it's always going to be interesting to people to to, to see this episode piecemeal. Mm-hmm. So I, I wonder, yeah, I wonder whether it's just something we have the benefit of having access to that episode well after the fact. There's also enough new stuff happening each time. Mm. Th- th- this one is uh, very close to verbatim. Pretty much, yeah. There's a couple of changes. There's not much. The the artists. Um, fondness for giving us surreal visions of of what the character is talking about like the the um i don't care if the dolph- dolphins have taken over all in the human being the same. i really like that yes i have never seen i've never noticed before and thought about it but i was like that is incredibly hitchhikers <laughs> <laughs> like, the whole thing about the dolphins have taken over and like they are the cleverest things and like yeah you know, like that is such a that's such a and that picture just just uh, it just rains that home i was like oh, it's such a hitchhiker's idea so long and thanks for all the fish and on the same page we have an image of um, Lister's skull with all the flesh oh my god oh yeah Jesus (laughs) not Lister's Bay Lister before we move on to second page there's also a little cat in the hat whoever drew this really liked cat in the hat oh yeah yeah. a little cameo of the cat in the hat in the top right who's the action figure in in the first pain I don't know I thought it was Rimmer at first yeah (laughs) is it supposed to be Dundee I'm sure that is, this is again oh. if we had more comic book knowledge. Well, he is yeah. down there. I think it's Dunder. He is down there. He's over there. Uh, I'm just googling what Dunder looks like. I might be wrong, actually. <laughs> it's it's clearly like. Please tell us in the comments the obvious, really famous comic book figure that that's supposed to be. Yeah, aimed at no one in particular, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that shot of like Rimmer actually seeing we're seeing the future echo that Rimmer actually sees. Yeah, horrific. <laughs> it, cool, cool idea. I think like yeah, the, the, the cool. two the two panes of like Bexley's viscera everywhere, and it's then it's it's grim. gone in the next one. Is really yeah. It's like effective. it's like it's just it just goes out yeah. of phase, and when he runs in, and it's like yeah, yeah. It's really well done. I love that. And we do we get extra bits of dialogue as well. <laughs> yeah. This is the, like the one big change. Yeah, because we see, we see it from his point of view. He says, "Gross, right up to the very end, eh, Listy? What a way to go, you messy goit!" <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. You're, you're a psychopath, Rimmer. Oh, he is. Rip, get an eyeball floats on the floor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a disembodied hand. Uh, Rob Grant would have been when he approved this. He would have just nodded with approval, <laughs> put a tick. He, he would have put an elephant stamp on there, saying, "Very good. Very good." <laughs> More, more viscerally. Gets idea for next novel. <laughs> <laughs> I've just noticed as well as that when Real Lister gets knocked down by the explosion that whatever the fuck that model is <laughs> is getting destroyed next to him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just again, that's another example of the artist putting in background things that kind of carry over pain. Sometimes it's more successful than others. I think that's... Yeah. yeah. But then, yeah, there is quite a lot, a, a high proportion of this particular instalment where we don't have those extra kind of background details and those extra flourishes yeah, yeah. to keep us distracted from the fact that we're just reading words that we're very familiar with. Yeah. Until. The one big change is that rather than merely humming the funeral march, Rimmer gets changed. Oh, <laughs> yes. yes. That's good. There's a lot to unpack with that. <laughs> That's a whole other parallel universe where Rob and Doug decided that that Rimmer didn't need Holly to change his appearance, and he could basically be this like this incredibly wacky, piss taking character that just 
constantly is changing himself just to just to like make jokes and dunk on the other like can you imagine him like being a bit like i don't know like jake from adventure time or something just oh he does he does ask holly to change his uniform oh does he in this yeah yeah oh damn it okay right well i i missed that <laughs> oh something to suit the occasion right okay sorry i missed that line so i was thinking that he could just click his fingers that will just do yeah. it. i think either way it's an amusing thing to <laughs> that yeah, an, an alternative version of red dwarf could have explored of just having rimmer use yeah. his hologrammatic status and use the fact that he can do just for the just to absolutely take the piss out of lister <laughs> yeah. in the most heinous way possible <laughs> i i do feel like if they had a bit more costume budget for future echoes this something like this would have been done oh, he'd have walked, <laughs> purely he'd have back in, yeah he'd have walked out yeah. of the room and walked back in going now <laughs> can't be done like immediately just yeah. like immediately <laughs> prepping for the funeral you know what I mean? especially like, considering the hair um <clears throat> the hair stuff later on like they were yeah. wanting to like dress him up for laughs so yeah that would have been good funeral director's garb i'm just looking at the cat in this and i don't know it seems less like Danny than the previous instalments. He's got a really big bulbous nose. Yeah. Like a little old man. That that mirror shot doesn't help. <laughs> I think it's just yeah. more like it's just it's just I think it's more of a just a it's a just cartoonified version. Yeah. Isn't it? It's just mm. a... I can't remember if he thought what he was like in the others to be honest and I can't be bothered to go and check. <laughs> when Lister catches McCartney out of the air or Lennon, it looks like a mini red dwarf. <laughs> and that is the end of that observation. <laughs> the cat actually says dog attack when he's been attacked as well. Yeah, that ties setting, setting up something to pay off in the next yeah. episode. Yeah. I was like, oh shit, is that in the original episode? But I was like, no, you don't. You just hear him just getting, <laughs> just getting thrown over the fucking console. Yeah, and then dog attack comes. It's a good way to end the, the comic, though. It's a really good ending. It's a, it's a good it's a good place to to put the. That yeah, it's funny because it's mm. like it stopped mid Rimmer line almost, yeah. but yeah. it works really well. Yeah, you feel like it could have. It's it's only how many pages is that? It doesn't feel like a full. Not many. Yeah, Four or five. Eight. Oh, that's quite a lot. Yeah, it's actually pretty fucking yeah, meaty actually, to be fair. It's very wordy though. <clears throat> very wordy. A lot yeah. to get across. You feel like they they could have finished this episode off with another few pages, like. Maybe I don't know, tightened this up a bit, but then that's not the point. No, the point's to not tighten to tighten it up yeah. and get through it. The the point is to do basically a recreation. Yeah, the best the whole thing. at this stage, the best you're going to get to experience yeah. what this episode was like. So it's, it's not space for those. I think I'm just running up against it a bit because I want to get on <laughs> with more original stuff and and you know me knowing how this magazine goes on to develop. I want to. It feels like in retrospect. That these are kind of like the end and future echoes are kind of like the equivalent of the Red Dwarf one and two DVDs, uh-huh. in that they're brilliant, <laughs> and um, at the time were exactly what was required. But things just got better. They're not yeah. the best versions of themselves. Yet. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so we're not seeing the best that this magazine can do. And I guess it's kind of a double-edged sword because probably the reason why they're so short is they're impatient to get to start getting their own original stuff in which they are doing at the moment like which shorter is good. Yeah. original bits so they've they've kind of extended the life of the problem mm. to yeah. exchange like getting some original stuff in so you know 
And this this edition in general, like, I haven't counted up or you know or compared, but it feels like there are more and shorter features in this than we've had for the past few issues, where yeah. there's been it's been several long ones, and this is lots of smaller ones, and that works better, I think. Definitely some sort of graph to be made about this, Ian. <laughs> there is. Some sort of spreadsheet. <laughs> A link in the show notes? <laughs> we'll see. We have an advert on the next page. We do. For, for something by Fleetweight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, still. The thing is, it doesn't have to I, give you prices. It just says, just we've got this thing. <laughs> Mate, you don't need to know prices. There's a free <laughs> gift. Oh. Like, what what mod, really- you know. It's the biggest words on the fucking page, isn't it? Yeah. Well, the yeah, there's basically three little books that come free with an undisclosed episode, uh, yeah. issue eight hundred of two thousand and D. And I'd be re- like, I'm not even interested remotely in two thousand and AD. Like, I'm aware of it. I'm aware of Judge Dredd, obviously. Yeah. I'm aware of how important and big it was in British comics, but I'm you know. I'm never going to read it, but I would be interested in reading these books or flicking through these books because this is a catalogue of all the magazines, all the comic strips, yeah. collectors' items, etc. Lovely artwork as well on those covers. I like those covers. Collectors' index. What would I fucking give for a collectors' index of Rick Dawson? <laughs> we're going to have to make one. I was going to say like with every fucking other thing we're, we're gonna have to do it <laughs> um flapjack or dave or someone can well do i was it. gonna yeah just a very good point well when i say we i kind of yeah i include all the cunts on the forum should we should we just get it over with what well well itty well oh are we already here oh shit. fucking yeah early early doors like i had a bit the of fucking a bit out the fucking gate let's do it when I was reading this last night, I was like, oh, what is it? Oh, no, fuck, it's the quiz. Like, yep. <laughs> spin on, spin on. <laughs> Hidden quiz. And it is, in my opinion, it's easier than all the previous quizzes. So let's see. Is it going to be? Uh, whether Capsi can claw back some dignity <laughs> at any point. Listen, I will never <laughs> have dignity. Have dignity. <laughs> so, the format of the quiz is thus. There are 30 quotes. Uh, there are one each from each of the 30 episodes of Red Dwarf that existed at this time. Ah. Furthermore, there are six each from each of the five main characters. So there's six Lister quotes, six Rimmer quotes, Cap, Crichton and Holly. Right. So, your challenge is for a point each to name the episode and the person who said the quote. Oh, okay. So who, so who said what and where from the quiz book, basically? Okay. Yes, <laughs> is a simpler way of putting it. It sounds like Richard Howard and Lions were already prepping for the. Uh... Uh, <laughs> oh no, yeah. they didn't do the quiz book, did they? That was uh, no. Nicky Hooks and, and Nicky Sharon, Hooks and Sharon. Yeah. I saw you looking at your bookshelf. I was just yeah. starting, I no looking at the fucking bookshelf. Don't put down, cheat. Put down, I, son of soup, Danny. Right it's now, like I can cheat because once you give me the question, <laughs> I'm then got to look up to see if the question's in the book. <laughs> and then go to the fucking answers and see if it's in there. Well, what this is basically, you guys. Between you built the Smega Drive. Now you have to be the Smega Drive. Oh shit! Uh, these, oh, yeah. I'm putting these search terms into your brain. I was going to say, like... spit out the the image. <laughs> I can't believe that I just suggested that Danny would be using a book to cheat on this when we <laughs> we could both have the Smega Drive open when we built the database of quotes <laughs> that you made. Oh right, okay. So that's so, only from series one to five. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And obviously, as usual, these are just presented 1 to 30, so we'll just take it in turns. 
So we'll give the loser the choice of whether you want to go first or second, Capsi. The, the the eventual loser. So I'll go. Um... No, the, I mean I, to be fair, I meant the loser just in every quiz so far, not necessarily the. Oh, you're I thought you were saying just, just to be fair, I meant the loser in every aspect of life. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna treat this like a penalty shootout, so I'm gonna go first. Okay. Let me just reflect that in my scoreboard. That I'm um, drawing. I'm <laughs> just got a text from I just got a text from Paul Ince saying that he he absolutely will not uh, help me on one of these questions. So I guess I'm going to have to get Gareth Southgate to help me. Oh, penalties! Yes, you see. <laughs> Still bitter about '96. Hang on, the episodes aren't in order, are they? The quotes aren't in order. <laughs> no, that right, would make okay. it a bit easier. <laughs> Let's go. So, for a point each, episode and person. I came across this section on super deluxe vacuum cleaners and suddenly my underpant elastic was catapulted across the medical bay. DNA, do not alter. Crichton, played by Robert Llewellyn. Three points, please. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> no bonus points. <laughs> I'm going to have to try really hard to not break into an impression. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Danny, we're here to entertain you. Ooh, I have to think about that. Um, Lister in quarantine. Double correct. I genuinely was worried about that because I was like, they're all in the window and I wasn't. <laughs> I didn't actually check the answers. Yes. Um, he won't find that one not until he changes his boots <laughs> Such, Ooh, it's so oh. good the cat me squared correct <laughs> my brain's rebelled it just won't accept nice things happening to me uh, that's really better than life correct this feels like you bet <laughs> <laughs> Is. Can you I have like another stamp, please? Oh, if I can find the fucking music, I'm having it in here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also, if you can find Have Another Stamp Bitter on YouTube, <laughs> that's going to be the show. Have another stamp, please. <laughs> it's going to be bitter. Uh, where is it? Capsi. Yeah. Maybe if I hand you guys over, it'll let me go. Move it, sucker. Um, that is... Uh, Crichton sans guilt in Polymorph. <laughs> Correct. This is so ridiculously this is, like this is this is where this like, is the, the quotes are in, these are ingrained in my brain. Yeah. These are like because we should be getting one hundred percent of these. So it's yeah, really if we don't, stressful. we need to. I need to literally <laughs> yeah. hang up my fucking. It's not. A, it's not a penalty shootout. It's a tennis match. <laughs> oh, fuck. It's yeah. like Who you're thinks? just waiting for the one mistake. Yeah, Danny. I think I feel a Jackson Pollock coming on. Uh, Crichton the last day. Correct. It's two Crichtons in a row. This is a recording. I'm afraid Holly is busy at the moment. <laughs> if you'd like to leave a message after the bleep, he'll get back to you. Bleep. Oh, God, who said that? Oh. <laughs> I feel like it's staring me in the face. Who said it? It was Holly Future Echoes. Correct. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> now they get, my brain was like, "Hang on, that, that would actually be quite difficult for people who like had just read this magazine and didn't know that because it's really early." So. 
Oh yeah, any yeah. series one ones are going to be difficult if you're in 1992. Does that even happen in the comic? It doesn't, does it? I can't remember. We've been it. We've had it. Yeah. Danny, there's enough fried calamari out there to feed the whole of Italy. Uh, Holly, back to reality. Yes. Back to life. I feel there's uh, something in this next question that might give part of the answer away. Camille looks like your sister-in-law. What happened? Was she involved in some kind of horrific car accident? <laughs> well, the episode's Camille. Um, and Crichton said that. Correct. The very worst that can happen, the absolute bottom line, is that you'll have to spend the rest of your life as a mindless, gibbering vegetable. But if the rest of your life's only going to be 30 seconds, what the hell? Uh, Rimmer in... Oh my god. What is wrong? Correct. That went flat out of my <coughs> fucking brain then. That was weird. I was sending so many <laughs> negative thoughts to you then, that <laughs> This is turns this turns Fuck me into a monster. Fuck it up. Fuck, <laughs> it, Fuck up. it up. <laughs> I've always had a bit of a blind spot with sevens. One of my most quoted things. In fact, we quoted this just earlier. <laughs> yes. I realise that. <laughs> um, Holly, parallel universe. Correct. Hey guys, I think they're playing our tune, the Wooga Waltz. Anyone care to join me in a quick step? That is the cat in Demons and Angels. The hat. Correct. Cat in the hat. <laughs> quick, let's get out of here before they bring him back. Cat Hollowship. Correct. <laughs> I wasn't sure about Hollowship at all there. Are you crazy? This is my all-time best lucky find I ever found in the whole of today. That's also the cat. <laughs> in Balance of Power. Bastard. Correct. Oh, thank fuck for that. Don't do yeah. that to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sweating. It's dripping oh, off Matt, me. Oh, I genuinely, I'm really stressed. <laughs> <laughs> my fucking dignity's on a line here. I've, 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 I've got 100% success. This is worse than I thought it'd be, to be honest. I thought I'd at least have a Yeah, to be fair, record. you're defending a 100% record, Dan. So you, you really can't fuck this up, man, because you will look like a, a dick if you, if you, if you do. Like, oh. It would be awful. Oh, he's fucking playing the mind games again. Okay. We're basically halfway through after this question. Lister, do you have any conception of the penalty for describing a deceased superior technician as a smeghead? Arnold Wimmer, his locker, the end. (laughs) (laughs) Do you mind... This is the annual general meeting of the Agrophobic Society. Lister, Stasis Leak. Oh, no fucking about now. Yeah. We are talking April, May, June, July and August full. Oh, balls. Holly. Fuck. Me squared. My word. Oh, he's fucked it. Oh, he's fucked it. Oh, fuck. The answer is Quig. Oh, of course it is. Oh, oh it's Norweb. It's Norweb in B squared. No, that's B squared, yeah. 
Fuck, that's what I've done. Oh, the April Fool in me squared you're thinking of. Right, yeah, okay, yeah. Well, 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 well. You got one point for identifying the character. Worthless. So there's still a chance. It's fucking worthless. I might as well throw the point in the fucking bin for all it's good it's going to do me. <laughs> Here's Danny's. Pressure is still on. <laughs> you think you had it bad before, Lister. Now you've got it in stereo, baby. Ah, oh, fucking. Do I have to specify which one it is? <laughs> uh, yes. No, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> one of the rimmers <laughs> in. Now, I've got to be careful here. Conference of Paranoia. Correct. That's cheeky. That, I nearly threw that. I nearly got that wrong. That's very cheeky. That, it mentions in the answers. A tricky one, this, as in, as in the closing moments of the programme, Rimmer gloats over the arrival of his duplicate self. How many of you thought it was me square? I nearly did, yeah. I was, I, I was really thinking, I, was like, I nearly said it. Kepsi? <coughs> it's sort of like not as bad as a red alert, but a bit worse than a blue alert. Holly? Maroon? No! Incorrect. Jump, Ali Dimension Jump. Oh. It's like the chase, when you get one wrong it starts to snowball and it just Yeah. I know you're like you're like the cinnamon just like smugly looking at me from up high. <laughs> now this game is is fifty percent mental and the other fifty percent is mental. <laughs> but a different part of the mental. <laughs> part of it's remembering things and part of it is handling the stress the pressure yeah uh, Denny ask me a sensible question preferably one that isn't bread related Holly Whitehall correct just to give Danny a quote from his favourite episode it's fine <laughs> <laughs> you chose who went first <laughs> um. is it me or are these frogs saying useless <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just what Capsie hears in his head during yeah, yeah, every yeah, quiz, yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Terraform. Yes. Lister. Have I completely, like. Correct. Okay, good. Ian was toying with my emotions. Yeah, he was. Yeah. <laughs> For dramatic effect. You spent too, you spent too long working with Divine. See, the scores, are, the scores are level. How? It's just that. Um, it's just that Daddy's got yeah, a question. Capsie's had more questions All than right. Daddy. <laughs> 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 Man, that's a fine present. He was probably only expecting a tie. Uh, cat. In. Ooh. Thanks for the memory. Correct. <sighs> Capsy was only expecting a tie, but even that might be beyond him. <laughs> Dick. Flobberdob, blib blob, bleep. Rimmer backwards. Correct. <laughs> and of course, Rimmer backwards is Rimmer. <laughs> Rimmer. <laughs> Logically, sir, there is only one way you could possibly have opened that door. I feel quite nauseous. Is mine right? Yes. Crichton, Inquisitor. You think it was the Inquisitor in the episode Crichton? No, I do not. I think it was the, <laughs> no, I think it was the character Crichton in the episode Inquisitor. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm going to have to take your first answer. <laughs> Kepsi, 
I've seen more convincing dinosaurs given away free with a packet of wheaty flakes. <laughs> Fucking great line. Meltdown. No, yes, meltdown. Quite. Correct. Yeah, I'm just taking the bare essentials to 36 changes of clothing and 10 full length dress mirrors. Cat. Yes. Marooned. Damn. Yes. That was quite difficult. As these things go. If I owned more than one pair of underpants, they might have been safe. <laughs> Lister, waiting for God. Correct. Still even Stevens. <laughs> stop toying with me. <laughs> Will you stop saying everything's crypto-fascist? You make me sound like I was a complete git. <laughs> <laughs> there is such a thing as a crypto-fascist these days, I imagine. Um... Uh, <laughs> Lister in Timeslides. Correct. Now, Capsi, it's sudden death here. You need to answer this question, both parts of it, correctly in order to have any chance whatsoever and hope that Danny fucks up the last one. Both. On both. So here we go with your final question. Me and my mates, we used to go scrumping for cars. <laughs> Lister, justice. Correct. Justice. And so, the goal opens up for Danny Stevenson to fuck slot it up, home. Fuck it up, fuck it up. He has two bites of this particular up, cherry. Fuck it up, fuck it up. The fuck final up, quote. Fuck it up, fuck it up, fuck it up. Fuck it up. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <coughs> There's a voice in my head telling me to fuck it up. <laughs> oh, right, okay. Actually, it's just occurred to me. Neither of you have been doing this, I assume, but you could, or you could tell me the answer to this before I even ask the question. If you'd been totting up all the episodes that we've had so far and how many quotes from each character we've had. <laughs> oh, so we could have been crossing like yes, we could have been crossing them off like. Would that given you a third a point? Logic puzzle. Maybe. <laughs> but nevertheless, here we go. They've got less meat on them than a chicken McNugget. That's the character crying in the episode rumor. <laughs> that is an incorrect question from um, this magazine because well, it's chicken nugget. It says here that it is Rimmer in the episode Crichton. Actually, it's Rimmer in Crichton Remastered. Yeah. And nothing else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Except for possibly one screening in America that Phil Reed may have had on VHS at some point <laughs> oh, in the early Oh, fucking hell, yeah. <laughs> but that's a whole other story. But yes. Uh, at the end of the game, at the end of the contest, Capsi has a creditable 28 points. But Danny has a perfect 30 points. Jesus Christ. It's only getting worse. Because it's just, it's, it's such, it's such, it could be such a disappointment that if I fuck up now, this <laughs> <laughs> can't go any mistakes at all. Yeah. Uh, you're in a both a win win and a lose lose situation. I wouldn't like there. to be in your shoes, Danny. I wouldn't. No, I'd have very wet feet if I was in your shoes. <laughs> uh, according to the scoring system in the magazine, um, if you've got more than 60 points, you're a cheat. And if you've got 60 <laughs> points or less, well done. I would so, love I would love to know like what like the general kind of scores that people would have got at the time. Because Danny's right, like the amount of people that would have seen Series 1 more than a few times would mm. be 
low. Yeah. Me squared, not going to happen. Especially Confidence and Paranoia, that's such a obscure Yeah, that one. Later in the episode, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, the only reason why it's easy from our perspective, or from at least mine and Danny's perspective, <laughs> is that we've spent, we had a good 30 years to memorise all this. Well, and the fact is, these are sort of like the fucking bubble. These are part of the, you know, yeah. the six episodes short of being the this, episodes. These are the episodes that we spent 20 years of our life falling asleep to every night. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Which is why I always it's, always it's remember the bubble the f- of the bubble as well because like some <laughs> you know, people yeah. check some people wrongly believe that series six is outside of the bubble. Ah, this is indisputably yeah. bubble. Mm. Indisputably bubble. That's my new <laughs> album out now. <laughs> it's Michael Bublé's new album. There we go. <laughs> oh fuck! We've still got like most of the magazine left. I know. It's yeah, because it, it's coming so early. Yeah, we've we've got. <laughs> You've got that. Presumably disappointment got, hanging over you. <laughs> presumably, we got a letter later on that explains to our ignorant selves why this might that might have some weird um, orders of spoilers. things. Spoilers. Because the next thing on the agenda is the Red Dwarf fan page. Can I shock you? <laughs> the Lister thing, as I was reading this last night, made me laugh out loud. Yeah. Because Ooh. I was trying to do it properly, and then yeah, I. So did I. Ch- I checked the answers and I was like, ah, that's that's actually really well done. Yeah. I, I realise that this actually could be done properly if you want, but if you yeah. don't want to do it properly, there's a joke in there. Yeah. And I don't get it. Although, where, where would Kipper go? I don't think Kipper matches any of them apart from Kipper Vindaloo, but Mutton's already got Vindaloo. Sandwiches? Kipper sandwiches. Ooh, maybe. Mm. <laughs> Kipper casserole. Far too silly sounding. To I don't know, but yeah, basically, yeah, you could kind of make about. most of that work, and it's yeah. just like, yeah, it's. Oh. I mean, beef goes with all of them, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Apart from maybe cocktail. Oh, I'm having roast yeah. beef later. Beef cocktail. I'm having great, a beef cocktail, <laughs> a bovril and vodka. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, yeah, well, beef with Marie Rose sauce. But I mean, maybe it'd work. <laughs> And then there's also some pictures of Hoovers and shit. Yeah, the um, first occasion of making a joke about this in this magazine. This is the thing about Crichton basically putting porn on there. <laughs> yeah, Crichton wants to fuck appliances. That is the joke. Yeah. They're quite, you know... They're quite sexy pictures, a, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> there's a nostalgia element of the, you know, the stars of... I've just noticed the picture of the Philips hand whisk in the top right that's clearly been cut out of a catalogue because there's like there's a bit of graphic on the left hand side where it's like presumably that's the price tag or something is this a is this a proto Henry that we're looking at here proto Henry (laughs) but it looks like a Henry that hasn't been um, given its character basically uh, I, yeah, I don't know. for some reason, remember recently looking up the history of Henry Hoover's. <laughs> and <laughs> I think they did exist pre nineties. Right. Uh, Henrys have looked like Henry since nineteen eighty one. Yeah, because this is electrical appliance catalog, so that's obviously where where Crown's gone from. He's gone from like arts yeah. or something. <laughs> it works in character. And also, it works for filling a magazine. And also, yeah. one of these old school—is that a dryer, like a top-down dryer or a washing machine? I'm not entirely sure what that th- that fourth one is. It's got an outlet. Yeah. What the fuck is that for? It's like a dryer or something, but it's like one of them American top-style barrel washer things. It just seems so small to do to be mm. a dryer. 
Or maybe yeah, maybe it's a centrifugal sort of spinner. Yeah. And then, then that outlet is water, so you have to. But then you'd think the outlet, if it was water, would be round. Do you know what? I don't See, know. If they'd, if they'd have bothered to put in the um, serial numbers and catalogue numbers exactly. in the answers, like, <laughs> we would have been able to find out. I'd nip down to Argos right now. And do you know what? Is Google Lens good enough to do this? Oh, let's find out. <laughs> do you know what, lads? It might be a tumble dryer. Oh. I found something that's not identical, but looks virtually uh, very similar. Is this the Westinghouse thing? It is. It's the quiet revolution in clothes drying. The credit debonair spin dryer with or without automatic emptying pump rinses and spins six pounds of washing within four minutes. Shit. I mean, to be fair, that is terrifyingly good. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Ah, but rinses and spins. That means it's... Dryish, but you'd still have to stick it on the line, wouldn't you? Yeah, I, yeah. It's yeah. like it does. It does most of it. It just speeds up the process. But yeah, it's, it's like it's so like a kind of action dryer. Yeah. Like what I'm looking at, which I will put a link in the show notes, is a catalogue page from 1970, where there's something that looks very similar to to this, which has got to be the same thing. Yeah, it's got to be. So yeah, it's it's before what we would now think of as a tumble dryer, where you'd stick it in and it would actually dry your clothes. Yeah. This, but this is like. Saving your 1970 housewife, the 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 <laughs> mangling process and the and all that shit before yeah. drying yeah. the clothes before the doing the actual dry. Yeah, you're right because washing machines wouldn't have had spin cycles or everything would have been hand washed as well. Actually, mm. now that I think about it, so you need to get rid of that excess water, otherwise you're fucked. It'll Absolutely. take days. It take days for things to dry. <sighs> Didn't bear thinking about. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that that's the most fun we've had out of the fun page, at least. I think so. so far. Yeah. Yeah, and Brian gets an erection, like, according to the answers. So. <laughs> I, have the, I have this rather strange <laughs> yeah. sensation if I go in a socket, I think we're going to leave the room. <laughs> Not wanting to go all um, Series 8 gender identity chat, but. If he's got a socket in his groin, that's not an erection. He's got a wide on. <laughs> <laughs> and I apologise to everyone for that phrase. <laughs> Since we're very much transported back to the 90s, why not say things like wide on? <laughs> <laughs> it's authentic. Front page done, I think. Yeah, yes. front page done. Yeah. Now... For holograms, it's pretty lively, isn't it? This one, yeah, I like it. What I don't like, and I have to get out of the way, yeah, is red, yes, <laughs> red text on a purple background. It yeah. is making my eyes hurt so much. There's one I thing worse, it... and that's black text on a purple background. So you've got both. <laughs> Do that thing again, where if you kind of if I, had the, if I had the magazine in front of me and I was kind of checking it, it's like the red would move at a different rate to everything else. Yeah, yeah. The black looks fine in print. Yeah. yeah. The red is I was when I was reading this, it was in evening time and the light was slightly lower. I had to really struggle yeah. to actually read it. Oh, yeah, it's painful. But luckily the only bits that are in red are the in character Holly bits. And so. there's not that many of them actually. Yeah, she comes in every now and then. What we have what may be the first rimette ever. There's a yeah, I was gonna say the theme of this letters page is is basically a theme that echoes throughout Red Dwarf fandom 
before, since, and forevermore of people who want to have sex with Chris Berry. <laughs> yeah. Like, like the letters pages in Better Than Life throughout the nineties were at least twenty five percent people wanting to have sex with Chris Barry. Barry first everywhere. <laughs> I'm sure the whole Red Dwarf Tumblr community would not be what it was were it not for people wanting to have sex with Chris. Was Barry. it not? Were it not for Terraform, basically? <laughs> yeah. Ah, yeah. Yeah. I guess you know things are probably going into overdrive after Terraform. Yeah. Wide on wide ons everywhere. <laughs> Let wide-ons be wide-ons. <laughs> yeah, the, the unlike Yvonne Magruder, I will put up a fight. Oh, yeah. Mm. Oh, dear. Well, she was a boxing Ooh, champ. That's a good point. Yeah. That, although I don't know if that was known when they Tell were. Tell me more, tell me more, did she put up a fight? <laughs> 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 mm. <laughs> Danny said this to me, and I said, well, is this a reference to the fact she's the boxing champion of the, the, the ship's boxing champion? And I was like, I don't think that occurred. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, a ni- it's a 90s thing. But there is at least a letter in here from someone calling themselves Camille the Pleasure Gulf bemoaning the sexist attitudes of the early to mid-90s and pointing out something that should have occurred to us, really, when we were critiquing that particular fucking awful feature yeah. of the, uh, the Are You a Red Dwarf fan feature, that all of the answers were um, designed for men. Yeah. There's absolutely no, um, <laughs> no indication in that feature. I think that, that criticism that... might have been implicit in what we were yeah. saying. I can't remember. Yeah. But, yeah. But yeah, for, uh, kudos for including that, for writing in that letter and including it, and also for juxtaposing it with the next letter, which is someone going, Whoa, look at them girls in Terraform. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, to be fair, I was a bit like that on Twitter last night when I was watching Strictly. A few, <laughs> few glasses of wine, and everyone's an early 90s sexist. <laughs> <laughs> was it Matt Goss that got you going? No, he's fucked off, mate. Uh, he's been gone a few weeks yeah. when will he be famous I'm sorry Danny but I uh, I can't I can't give you an answer to that one. <laughs> but yeah this is actually for once a good holograms yeah, I think, I think so, yeah. <laughs> there's something different about it and also it goes back to what I was saying about how it feels like a magazine all of a sudden that has a plan and has you know that develops and we we can be fairly confident in the way that it's developing mm. There's a letter that is basically asking for more original comic strips, and the reply is there will indeed be a lot more original comic strips in Red Dwarf magazine. And it's interesting as well. Our writers are in, are preparing scripts at this very moment in consultation with Rob Grant and Doug Naylor. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, so they do actually get some sort of there are, there are some approval systems going they're, on. They're, yeah, yeah. Oh, so that has to be right because it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's a front facing thing. Therefore, it's got to be <clears> they're fairly checked and vetted. Yeah, I, I was going to say that sounds quite consistent with them as well. Is that you know, like I think even during like the Doug only days of like where Andrew put out things like Prelude to Nanaki, they were very few and far between, which mm. gives me the impression that maybe there was you know a fair bit of gatekeeping for you know for for the good going on. Um, yeah, I mean Doug Doug was well, this gatekeeping. Is, this Red is Wolf. the first time anyone ever has written Red Dwarf yeah. stuff well, other than Rob and Doug. Yeah, it's very weird though because it's, it's one of those things where is it is it that Rob and Doug are gatekeeping or is it a case of no one really approached them with any mm. ideas that they could like because unsolicited mm. stuff obviously it's difficult you can't use it but it's like what, what I'm trying to say it's a bit like if 
like Doug and Rob are, you know, they're the voice of Dwarf, right? It's very difficult to not have Dwarf that doesn't feel like it's them. If you know, you can tell when it's not the whole yeah. or when it's you know when it's just one of them or whatever. Um, but yeah, it, like it's never really been sort of like if there was someone who could write Red Dwarf really well, I'm sure they'd let them. I just think it's a case of you know, there's never been someone who's been able to get that 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 tone right without yeah. it sounding like there's something missing. Um, but it does also could just be down to it could just be down Robin just saying well we're not actually <coughs> the outside of at all mm-hmm. or you know we're very very precious about this and we don't want it to be you know messed with well we we don't know to the extent that um, there it says in consultation with Rob Grant and Doug Naylor we don't know whether that's like they write uh, you know and or draft the comic strips and and get approval at that stage or whether it's that. Uh, they discuss ideas with Rob and Doug, and Rob and Doug yeah. sort of supply slash guide the, those ideas before anything gets scripted or, or written. Uh, there are things coming up that <laughs> most definitely feel like they belong in Rob and Doug's Red Dwarf universe, and there are things coming up where you can't imagine anyone <laughs> signs them off or thought were a, was a good idea <laughs> or thought fitted with the ongoing franchise or even you know there are things that are fucking out there coming up and I'd be fascinated to know are we talking about a future episode are we talking about future magazines are we talking about later in this magazine (laughs) well a little bit of both (laughs) but yeah it gets even more batshit in future magazines oh excellent okay I look forward to finding that batshit yeah I I think maybe at this stage of the magazine's life they're being very careful and being across everything and maybe as things get on there you say yeah whatever do what you like I trust you yeah, guys they haven't unleashed and the then they go mental yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah there was an interesting yeah okay so the, the the next one after that is the letter about um, a scutter was able to trip him up and we talked about we this in this the podcast yeah and I was like, oh, we talked about, oh, we, and I think, was it, I think I might have said it might have been that he's tripping him up, and then Sue said, oh, he's trying to kick him, and it's like he went straight through. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, both times he's trying to kick the scutter. And that's kind of. And it's like they went back and actually checked it, and yeah, and it was interesting. It was like they had actually kept, they had thought about that, and it was like, well, you know, when you're passing through, you don't have to lose your balance. What a pillock. Um, but yeah, mm. it's interesting how they've actually, like, like, they made the same mistake that we did. <laughs> and there's been chat about it, but yeah. Uh, my only other thing to note is I've just noticed that one of the letters the letters are usually Dear Red Dwarf, Dear Red Dwarf Magazine Dear RDM, Dear Holly there's one that just starts Dear Magazine <laughs> which, yeah, which, is a, which is one they internally wrote <laughs> This uh, Hollygrams shares its pages yes. with Holly's data bank which is very interesting Well this is clearly a pilot edition mm. because it's Made up uh, letters yeah. with made up names, but yeah, Are they? new feature alert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I am fascinated that the uh, Donna De Stefano anecdote was floating around at this point. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, it's interesting. There's so much stuff where, like, in the documentaries, I've been like, "Oh, that's brand new information." Like, "Oh, I, 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 I'm, I, yeah. I, that's, that's." I don't think anyone knew that. And it's like this stuff's been around for fucking, fucking years. years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like everyone knows about this stuff already. It's like we never really paid attention to these fucking magazines, did we? When we were kids, we really didn't. I remember reading about the Donna Di Stefano anecdote in the program guide, right? 
which is obviously written by Howarth and Lyons, uh, yes. and presumably this that's... page is also. Yeah, okay, that's probably where I might have found So they must have just it. picked that up from one of the interviews with Robin Duggan, just like thrown it in? Or... It's a, yeah, yeah, it's a spare bit of info, yeah. like, where can we put it? Excellent. But yeah, purpose of this eventually being answering questions, <laughs> is, you know, either continuity questions or you know, filling in the gaps pre-internet. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. Um, bye for now, Holly, with apologies to the folks at DB, uh, DWM. So presumably they nicked this from Doctor Who magazine. <laughs> uh, yes, there was a feature called the Matrix Databank in Doctor Who magazine at the time, which was this, people sending in their questions and having them answered because they couldn't Google them. So that's an extra two points for the quiz for me, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> that was the real quiz. <laughs> Yeah, basically, this is sort of like the ten most asked, asked questions on the Smeg. Yes, you know, it is. Smeg ups. That's what yeah. the tone like, yeah. of it as well is. Yeah. 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 Um, well, I that is oh, just Smeg off, Anne. I don't need to pedantic gits like you <laughs> writing and causing problems. Okay, which is basically directly lifted for the <laughs> Smeg up. <laughs> and once again, Doug Naylor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The gag pie. Oh, in this case, Cry- like... uh, Robert Llewellyn. Because Rob- oh, was it Paul Alexander that wrote the smeg ups? Robert and Doug. Robert and Doug. Credited. Sitting in a tree. <laughs> Before we get onto the rest of the magazine, we've got our own letters. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. What we read out at this stage. I was hoping you'd forget. In the middle of the magazine s- once more. <laughs> sick of reading what these cunts write. I do it every day. <laughs> at most days. Yeah, most days. So yes, we've, as usual, received lots of lovely comments uh, from our listeners slash readers over at We're just going to read a small selection because we can't possibly read them all uh, because that would be tedious. But Warbadog says, The Grant Naylor interview is definitely the meatiest thing so far for the fans, but it's more about looking back than ahead, even giving the sense that the show may be closer to the end than the beginning. Uh, the magazine relies on Red Dwarf being an ongoing production but right from the contents page they're making jokes about running out of material and already being desperate for a new series and on the subject of the uh, much discussed comment about the dad script being funny in a homosexual kind of way (laughs) Warbadog says uh, I took it to mean that there were some vague comedic possibilities from Rimmer and Lister acting like a gay couple and to be fair, he was right. After all, several episodes of Frasier are focused on two straight characters acting like a gay couple, and that's one of the greatest sitcoms ever made. The dad's script excerpt on the Body Snatcher collection doesn't contain anything homophobic, and I can think you'd see hints of how that dynamic between Rimmer and Lister could have worked. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. I think w- with that, it's the phrasing that got me the most. I just thought it was just very funny phrasing <laughs> very funny in a homosexual, in a homosexual kind of sort of way. yeah it's just like I, I just I don't know it just sounds like something a very old man would say like <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah well like I, like I said on the last one it's like it sounded like something my stepdad might say about RuPaul's Drag Race you know like it's just it's just very odd it's a very odd thing to yeah. say. And another comment from Warbadog the art style of the cover that being last one with the geep and Crichton on the front, oh, yeah. is the sort of thing you'd see randomly adorning a waltzer at a travelling fun fair. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of sort of airbrushed. Yeah, airbrushed I mean that is the style of things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Colin Howard is very airbrushy. Yeah. I don't know if that's what he uses, but that's certainly yeah. But harsh nonetheless. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's a better likeness than you get on a waltzer, but yeah. yeah. Dave, the most knowledgeable comics person that we have on the on the site <laughs> at the moment, it would appear, is talking about Vincent Danks, who was drew the the Geep comic in the last issue. His style has always been fairly photo referenced, even for original properties, but this is the first time I've seen it in colour, which makes it pop in a different way to how it looks in black and white. The colour choices here are vivid <laughs> uh, as for Will Eisner he's commonly thought of as the godfather of the modern graphic novel uh-huh. and a comics legend in general the spirit is his most famous character so it's probably just a broad reference for comic fans uh, ok so if you're a comic <laughs> fan that's going to be a really obvious thing to, to see on there but yeah. like, for people who don't it's, it's the yeah, okay. well we're, we're all fans of individual comics aren't we I would say like I I've, think I've got comics is a genre I don't know about yeah, yeah. Uh, Red Dwarf magazine Viz and the, the Beano, the Beano. <laughs> mostly the Beano. I mean, with um, graphic novels, I won't class the Dante and the Beano as graphic novels. <laughs> well, the annuals, yeah, yeah. trade <laughs> paperbacks. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah. my comics reading habits are um, find a list of where Seb ranked his favourite comics, and yeah. it's the top ten of those are the ones I've read. <laughs> <laughs> The ones that Seb was reading in particular when you lived with Seb. Yes, yeah. You've also read yeah. Watchmen. Yeah. I read Sandman. I read Phonogram, that was good. Yeah, first person. I've read Death Note. That's the that the most sort of serious thing I've read as a comic. Death Note is amazing. But But mostly I read things for grown ups. <laughs> yeah. Like I do not like, mean like that's Ganymede and Titans comic comment section. <laughs> <laughs> And also, I don't mainly <laughs> consume <laughs> things for grown-ups. Yeah. I mainly watch CBeebies. <laughs> so he has not got his comics badge. <laughs> also from Dave, uh, regarding the comments about the odd placement of certain sections, like the letters page in the next month's preview, having worked in print magazine publishing in the past, I think some of this may have to do with the slightly boring practicalities of old-fashioned magazine printing, namely needing to group certain sets of pages together if they require different printing effects and techniques. Ah, if you have different printing techniques on different pages in the same issue, e.g. some black and white and some colour, then because of the way a magazine is printed and then folded to construct the final product, the sets of pages are grouped in patterns that flow out from the centre, spread in a mirrored layout in batches of four pages at a time. Oh, yeah, of course. Cause it's, Makes complete sense. Yeah, yeah. that's the, yeah. I remember when we tried to collate the, the uh, magazine for, the, for DJ and the page order was just completely batshit. Like obviously the computer know what order to put stuff in, but like it was like page one, page twenty eight, and then on, on, on the obverse of that it was like page three and page twenty seven. It was like, yeah. and it just like it just had to just trust that it knew what it was doing because looking at it would just look absolutely crazy. Because the way you yeah. build the thing up is it's printed as like A four, and then printed and then, da, 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 and then it's stapled, yeah. then it's folded, and it's like that that then makes the book. It's just like, but yeah, I remember that being absolutely crazy. Trying to work that out. So imagine that, but 25, 30 years earlier in terms of technology. Yeah. And so, yeah, it makes total sense that if this particular section needs to have this thing, then it needs to be here, because otherwise you're fucking up the whole magazine. Yeah, you can't put on colour on that side and black on that side. Yeah. How restrictive that is as well. That's crazy. Uh, I, yeah, I never thought is, about the considerations yeah. of having so the extra levels of skill that you know, you know, you don't see things that have to be considered when you're putting together a magazine in the analogue age. It's now explained to me actually how and I never understood why it happened, why comic books often had a front uh, colour page and then the inside of that page was also a colour and then the back the last page of the comic was colour and so was the back page that makes so much more sense because that one page will be entirely Going back to the Beano 
Uh, when I first started getting the Beano, there was always a pattern where there was like, out of the whole comic, three double pages would be, be colour. And there's like, the Bash Street Kids in the middle was colour. Yes. Dennis the Menace on the front and back was colour. And usually Minnie the Minx in the middle. Yeah. Uh, Minnie the Minx and Roger the Dodger. And they were always, now that you think about it, printed on yeah, they the were. same And there's also like competition on the other side of the, the double spread in the middle. And it was always like competition yeah. on that side. So that, that's actually blow my mind. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> and um, in relation to this magazine, I th- think that this lovely print of this picture for the monsters title um is connected to the advert for the 2000 AD because that is also a full color um ah that would make sense densely densely printed thing ian's about to find out speaking as someone with a paper magazine it is not ah oh, fuck oh. it <laughs> maybe 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 dave's aligned to us Maybe yeah. There's a lot of colour in this book. Well, the whole thing's the whole thing's full colour, so yeah, I don't think this really yeah. matters with this one. But yeah, our final letter, um, as usual, international debris has provided the most comprehensive, uh, interesting, and amusing comments, as they always do. But we can only read a tiny bit of it out. And this is international debris summary of the Susie Patel section of last month's comic. The pod three million years into deep space might contain a woman I used to date. Why is that, sir? So I can make a joke about fancying a woman who smells a bit like curry. That's a bit crowbar, isn't it, sir? And do you think it's wise to suggest a woman with a traditionally Indian surname smells like curry? Shut up, Crichton. Next year we're telling me Chinese whispers are racist. <laughs> <laughs> so do send us your letters, i.e. comments, uh, for the next issue. Uh, you can do so at www.ganymede.tv on the comments page for this year podcast. But we've still got half a magazine to go. And now it's the monsters. This is beautiful. So like I'm looking at it on a PDF, but imagine this is like a two page spread. The mon, mon- the monsters yeah. of Red Dwarf using yeah, that looks amazing. lovely Euro style font. Yeah. Yeah. Big picture that is probably on the DVDs, but I certainly haven't. I don't remember <laughs> be in the seeing it. It'll be in the gallery, but I like this is not a normal. This is not a stock one that is used yeah, all the time. You don't see it often. Yeah. In fact, I never even thought about the fact that there is a obviously like, I, I and I'm I'm trying to work out in the shot. You don't really see this in the in the episode. There's sort of like a the no, crouching thing, and then it's slowly revealing itself. You don't really see that. It's cut around a lot. I think yeah. maybe to in, to increase the effectiveness because otherwise it's it's a man kneeling down and standing up. Yeah, I just think it, I mean it looks amazing and still. I mean it looks yeah. fantastic. It's a production yeah. photograph rather than a promotional one. I would say. Mm. But also, as well as looking lovely and being nicely presented, it's Thank a you. decent text feature mm. as well it is it doesn't teach us anything that we don't already know but i would rather have this kind of mm-hmm. a nice summary of things that have been in the show like tying various disparate bits yeah. together forming a history and a timeline mm-hmm. I'd, I'd take that over any fake transcripts of conversations between characters yeah it's really nicely written it flows it's easy to read but it's an actual article yeah, yeah. It's taking a theme from the show and exploring it and tying it all together. It's... Yeah. And also, like if if these pictures are kind of new to us or newish to yeah. us now, like the the magazine reading idiots of the day would have been like uh, the two of things I love about that picture of uh, Crichton and Camille. A, you can see the boom mic right at the top. Boom in. Oh, yeah. 
And B, you can very, very clearly see the UCI branding on that popcorn bucket. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, you know, maybe GMC had the UCI cinema branding. Yeah. It's my favourite picture of Mike Tucker, that. <laughs> Mike Tucker's mum's actually got that picture on her wall. <laughs> Is that true? No. It might be. It might be. That's a <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. Robert Llewellyn's mum has a picture of that. Okay, <laughs> minus two points for me. I've lost the points. <laughs> um, yeah, that Cataquisitor um, picture, again, just, it's just not, no, you're just not, I'm just not used to seeing that particular picture, and it's just nice. Yeah. Nice inclusion. Is. And then the weird, like, papier mache falling apart polymorph as well. It's just, it's just really nice. Just nice, but there's nothing really much to say about it. It's just this is exactly the sort of thing you'd want in a magazine like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, at the bottom, it teases. Uh, at the end, it teases the interview with Peter Rag. Yeah, yeah. So they're they're, they're educating month. the audience and getting them ready to what would have been an unusual thing at the time. Um, yeah, fairly unusual is like delving into that that behind the camera stuff. But, yeah, so they talk about, you know, they celebrate this aspect of the show and then next time they're going to delve into it yeah. in more detail. It's good. It's good. <laughs> yeah, it's good. And also, clearly, there's details in the uh, in this article that, for example, Rimmer's self-loathing beast can be seen in its gruesome glory in the foyer of the BBC's visual effects department. Yeah. So they've obviously gone there to meet Peter Rag to do the interview yes. and taken that info into this. <laughs> yeah, that's really and it's nice. And honestly, the... the... The first time I ever saw that thing properly, the actual the self-loathing beast, was from someone did some artwork for one of the BTLs. Mm. And it's a full front picture of the, the self-loathing beast. And for the longest time, I never realised I knew what that looked like. Would that, obviously, the North Acton site has long since been demolished, I think. Was, it, was, was that the same place as the rehearsal rooms? I'm not 100% sure. I think it was Close the same yeah. general, yeah, the same sort of block. Yeah. Everyone within spitting distance of like BBC's BBC's head headquarters, basically like in Acton or in Ealing yeah. or yeah, close enough to White City. We haven't really said much about this, but I think that's about all we need to say. Yeah, and uh, like let's take it as a compliment for Howarth and Lions, uh, which we presume is Howarth and Lions, yeah. um, that we're not just ripping it apart and finding pedantic <laughs> things to <laughs> to correct them on, because this is essentially the equivalent of the. Um, episode guides which had been in the previous edition. Yeah. This is the spread that you know takes a factual look at Red Dwarf but it's just better. Mm-hmm. It's more engaging, it's more fun, it's better. Do you know what comes to mind is a comment that Stuart Lee made quite a few years ago about how he tries to curate his audience and that means yeah. like almost training his audience to like to, to not like his type of comedy but you know what i mean like get in in tune with him and i, I think about this with with the smegazine because you can see from the letters page that a lot of the people who are writing in are all like ha, lister's a slob and rimmer is such a smeghead and like it's all a bit surface level i almost feel like this is them now trying to curate an audience into looking a bit deeper do you know what i mean like like, mm-hmm. look at yeah. look at this surface level thing. This is really interesting, isn't it? Right, well, we're going to hit you with a full fucking rag next week, and then presumably <laughs> there's loads more. And I think maybe Howarth and Lions need some credit for that sort of for, for being those early kind of um, educators, really, of how the show was made. Oh yeah, yeah. The program guide was kind of the best thing we had to like an encyclopedia. Yeah, well, that's the thing that got that got me. 
was exactly the so it's like yeah. yeah that's the thing so that, that and that that voice that tone felt like part of red dwarf at that point because it was an official yeah. product that had mm. that voice so yeah, yeah. It, it totally has that there is a direct lineage between smegazine program guide uh better than life and sort of early internet fandom to ganymede and titan yeah it, like we're so the the ultimate perfection at the end. Yeah, like. <laughs> home to perfection through time and evolution. <laughs> but no, I see them as very much the people that laid the ground and were our forebears of the people that first looked into Red Dwarf in an in-depth way, both in terms of looking at the production in a detailed way and also analysing the text of Red Dwarf in a meaningful way. Yeah, whilst taking the piss out uh, of themselves. Yeah. You know, whilst, whilst well, having that kind of tongue-in-cheek feel about it. So what we're saying is that not only has Doug Naylor ripped off all the ideas from this magazine, but we ourselves are just <laughs> a weak we're, tribute we're, act to Howarth and Lyons. We're, we're just this magazine with, uh, with, with presumably fewer printing costs. <laughs> <laughs> I say presumably. We have zero printing costs. And yeah. one less advert. <laughs> 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 That's true. We're more similar to them on the advertising side than not. <laughs> if you were to print out everything that we've ever published, it would probably be more than this magazine. So, yeah. yeah, that's true. That's true. It's all about the quantity. <laughs> yeah, never mind the quality. Feel the wit. Yeah, <laughs> that's very menacing. <laughs> One thing I think we can safely say that we've never had anything like on Ganymede and Titan <laughs> is the next feature <laughs> Jake Bullet bring me the head of Alfresco guacamole <laughs> that title is fucking laboured as fuck um, <laughs> however, I'm really curious where you guys fall on this okay so I didn't realise I thought that when I said Jake Bullet I was like oh it's a new comic I was like oh I was expecting it to be a full I thought it was going to be another graphic novel story thing and when I read it, it was just going to be like a sort of like a like a narration, like I can hear like a sort of film noir thing in your head. And I was like, ah, oh, okay, this kind of works. Yeah. But then just there's <laughs> reading this is like it, like holding a mirror to me, going, "This is what I do with other people all the time," <laughs> where I just take the thing they've said and then just like make a joke out of it because <laughs> I, I I can't help myself. And yeah, it's exactly that. And it's basically one. It's airplane. It's airplane jokes yeah. after another, yeah. basically. And do you know what? That's the misstep in this, is just ripping that good joke off. Because even though the rest of it is very clearly Abrams... Abrams Zucker Zucker? Abrams Abrams Zucker? Abrams uh, Zucker Abrams. Um, even though it's quite clearly, like, <laughs> heavily inspired by that, that is the only yeah. time I think that they just lift sort a joke police off. squad, more like... Yeah. Yeah. More <clears> and it's one camp. thing... It's one thing to say I'm going to write an airplane type thing, and it is very much another thing to actually achieve the the density and just quality of jokes that honestly this guy um, I forget his name Steve Noble the, the, the Steve Noble has achieved here. This is brilliant. You it's love it. Fucking love it. Okay. brilliant. <laughs> like I would, I would end. I was. I was laughing at the exact same rate as this writer wanted me to laugh, and so you can't really, you can't really ask for any more than that, can you? Yeah, it was good. It's good. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of jokes where they were cleverer than I were giving than I originally realised. Yes. I had to read it twice before I realised. I was like, oh fuck, that's a joke. 
Oh, that's amazing. They've done that. Oh, okay, great. Fine. Yeah. It's, because, it's because you're still digesting the last one and then there's two more. Yeah, as you've been reading. That's what it is. It's quite, it's, quite, it, yeah. it's quite breakneck. There's, yeah, it's just... <laughs> it is just a shame that they like directly lifted that airplane joke. I'm pretty sure everything else is like a, is like original, but... Obviously, Police Squad and like you know Airplane and all those kind of things, they were way ahead of their time in terms of like the mm-hmm. like the comedy was almost like no one was ready for it, right? It was such a shame that like Police Squad didn't get the Naked Gun gave them the audience they needed, but like Police Squad was just horrifically underrated. Like it is mm. amazingly well done. It's definitely yeah. it's definitely had a resurgence, like Pete. And there's loads. <laughs> What's your name, Sugar? Yes. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a joke that only works in the written form as well because because yes. yeah. <laughs> it's got the, it's got the it's playing on the fact that when you've got a comma before su- like before sugar is like you can take it both ways you can read it both ways it's so good so the background music that's playing is, is happening out. is diegetic is in the actual yeah. it's coming out quite in speakers wherever, like. <laughs> so the, the more I read it the more I'm appreciating it because it's like it is actually better than it has any right to be <laughs> it's... I agree to an extent yeah <laughs> <laughs> my <laughs> two well not really criticisms but things that st- <laughs> that stop me from being quite as Enthusiastic, and I do like it. It's not really, in any sense, Red Dwarf related at all. No. <laughs> it's just—I mean—happens <laughs> to be Jake Bullet. Whereas it, you know, it is—it's a hundred percent police squad fan fiction <laughs> with the occasional mention of mechanoids. <laughs> <laughs> and true. I don't think that's a—it's a—that's not a huge criticism. It's—it's it's like. It, strictly speaking, it's it's a very weird thing for to to tie into a red dwarf thing, but you know it's two pages. It's not like yeah. it's taking up loads of room with this massively. You know, <laughs> I wonder thing. if this hits it's... differently because we're here thirty five years after Red Dwarf started, and just any anything that's like fresh it doesn't even have to be connected mm. to red dwarf don't doesn't matter anymore like it, it, it's just it's just a fun just a fun yeah. thing this scratches the same kind of itch for me though as the um the carton stuff in better than life in backwards in backwards sorry yeah 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 all that stuff feels very not red dwarf but it's the fact that it's people we can visualize as being in that world it doesn't seem to have you know out of left field and this is this this is what this does to me as well it's a similar feeling but yeah obviously yeah because also the other stuff with the the with Trixie Labouche and all that kind of stuff like that is again one of those things it's very similar it's so out there but it's so but you can relate to it because it's it's got our characters in it. Rob Grant um, gets an idea for a novel. <laughs> well, yeah, it's um, this is the first instance of this magazine taking Red Dwarf's world and doing something vast, like changing genres, doing something vastly different. Mm-hmm. Because all the comic strips so far, and definitely all the prose so far, has been very much down the line it's been fairly you know Re- retell the same jokes 
Yeah, that's it's, what it is. Yeah. And like that that's also not a criticism. I'm not saying that either of those is the right way to go. I think the best thing to do is have a nice mix. And so with this being a little two pages in the middle of the magazine surrounded by things that are more conventionally dwarfy, then I've kind of talked myself round out of that criticism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah, I want them to do things that are interesting and different with the Red Dwarf. All you have to do to place this in the fiction of Red Dwarf is that, you know, a bit later on we're gonna be getting to a bit where the cat's looking through his dreams and this is just Crichton looking at one of his dreams in the dream recorder, you know? Yeah. Spoilers. <laughs> I can't decide whether it is genius or awful, the final joke and the way that, that the layers and layers that are part of that joke. It could be either so the whole punchline <laughs> The whole punchline is based on a pun on what Jake Bullet's name is when spelt backwards <laughs> and how that sounds similar to the last two syllables of a catchphrase of an early nineties <laughs> comedian <laughs> and so they've gone back and made a character whose name and job combines to sound a bit like the name of that comedian <laughs> Yeah. so do you and think ends. this joke was written first <laughs> it's so hard, hard to tell I think like seeding Frankie earlier on is good because like he's not referred to as Frankie the Garson until there He's Frankie the waiter, but Garcon is another word for waiter. That's good. But I did have to read that a couple of times just to pass it. <laughs> like, not even in a uh, finding an extra joke there is trying to understand the actual words. <laughs> Took a couple of attempts. It's just, like, what this is, is the writers decided to do a knockoff of Police Squad. And whether or not like all of the jokes hit, they they have they have succeeded at that. Like, yeah. like this isn't just oh I think I can write a bit like that, and then there's there's one joke every paragraph. You know, they've got the gag rate, and I think that's the most vital thing about this is that it doesn't yeah. it doesn't matter that some of these gags are horrific because some of them are brilliant and <laughs> I don't know it just it just is that yeah that thing of if you don't like this joke don't worry yeah, don't one oh this we, we we sat Frankie in the kitchen and gave him a good grilling it was the least we could do after the way he treated Spike you can't keep me here said Frankie I got the feds coming I would have thought you'd specialise in the unfed <laughs> <laughs> Also, as well, um, this is to make me a bit more un, uh, unpopular. So, Carl Flint is the artist for this, and I believe yes. he's the same pop art style lad that um, did the art a few yeah. issues ago that um, literally everyone hated apart from me. Um, and again, I would like to have this this picture up on my wall. If I could get a clean version of that, I'd love it. I think I think that's it's really nice. nice. Yeah, it's it's, yeah, it's. It is definitely uh, idiosyncratic and yeah. unique, and yeah, I like it. The, uh, the 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 graphic on the on the last page with the the girl with the the menu and the uh, and it looks very um, reminds what? me of Games Master. Yes, I was going to say <laughs> it's definitely nicked from something, isn't it? It yeah, almost just, looks just... like it almost looks a bit like AI art, actually. Which yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, it's got that same sort of yeah aesthetic to it. Yeah. And one of the um, skyscrapers in the background is a hob. 
Oh yeah, I didn't even notice. That's amazing. You're right. It's just it's just a okay. <laughs> That's great. The title of it, "Bring Me the Head of El Fresco Guacamole," is presumably a pun on uh, "Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia." Yeah. Which is a film, but I'm only aware of that film because it's a running gag on I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. Right. I've got no idea what that film is. You haven't a clue what the film is. <laughs> I, I just think this is a big thumbs up. It's like do, doing stuff like this because oh, this is what I want, right? Like maybe at the time people reading this wouldn't want stuff like this. They would want like pure red dwarf pucked into yeah. their veins. But right now in 2022, I want I want weird shit from this magazine i know i'm gonna get it as well but like uh, yeah stuff stuff like this i think I, i'm really looking forward if, if we're getting more like this then that's it's going to be fun one way or the other whether it's good or bad <laughs> presumably why ian thought we should do this magazine rack where we go through all of the magazines issue by issue yeah i think we're slowly but surely getting to the phase where you guys and our listeners are starting to to understand why I wanted to do this, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. we're all, we're getting to the point now where it's actually interesting. <laughs> Even if it was just dry stuff, you know, I'm sure we would have. You know, we, yeah, we could talk about anything, couldn't we? Two hours, and put you it out at length, whether you want yeah. to or not. <laughs> yes, and for further evidence of this, see the previous 160 odd. <laughs> but next up. A feature that I don't think was in the last issue, but was in one of the mm. previous issues, yes, has returned. Read any good books lately? Yes. General sci-fi roundup of you know recommendations of what's out there. Mm. And there's uh, one of the things is a an anthology edited by someone called George R R Martin. I don't think. No, I don't know. Nothing really. Anything? No, yeah, I think he. Bell. I think he was a cover cover band for J I R Tolkien and. Really get, get uh, that and the Beatles he did he did Beatles songs in the oh, yeah. talking. <laughs> now I know a little bit about wild cards. Yeah, um, I was gonna ask, is that a yeah is it a thing that's known amongst fans of Ice and Fire? Yeah, yes, it is. It is. I mean like I uh, for context I am a very big George R. R. Martin nerd. Um not so much that I've actually read any wild cards, but I do know about it. <laughs> um and yeah, so at the point at the time of writing, what was it? They were getting on to the seventh book in in this mm. anthology. And George R. R. Martin is um, at this point he is the sole editor. Uh, I should say that Melinda Snodgrass is the one that's really been keeping it going. However, George R. R. Martin is still is still to this year editing Wild Cards. Um, they're on their thirtieth now. Um, <laughs> when, when this came out, they were on their seventh. Um, now the reason I know about Wildcards <laughs> is um, fans such as me are quite interested in his live journal. He's one of the people that still has a live journal, um, not a blog. We might we might all be going back to live journal. If yeah, well, we might. Yeah. <laughs> He's ahead of his time. He also uses a, a DOS program called WordStar to write all of his books. Nice, uh, because that's what he learnt on in the eighties. So that's what he uses. But yeah, so his a, blo- a new George R. R. Martin blog will come along. It's like maybe we're going to hear something about the Winds of Winter, which is the next book. And at this point, Song of Ice and Fire fans are just in almost fever pitch, want- wanting that book. But no, it'll be a, a blog post about. Oh, I'm delighted to say that the next Wild Cards anthology is out. And we've been working really hard at this, and then all the comments are just like, "What's the, in the name? We don't care about Wild Cards," and it's very unfair. Streets I mean. of London. <laughs> Streets of London. <laughs> 
so he gets a lot of shit. It's un- it's unfair because he, the way he has to work is having his finger in many pies and keeping having to fucking corral those pricks. <laughs> oh, he's 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 he struggled with it at times. He's lashed out a couple of times, and you can't blame him. But like you know, he's also doing things like consulting on. Like, there's going to be a million Game of Thrones spin-off TV series. One's already yeah. been. And the reason there's going to be a million is the one that we've just had was very good. And so it's just going to... It's, it, it, they're going to keep coming. And he will always be consulting on those. He'll always be an executive producer slash maybe script editor. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so It's his, it's his buttski that these are... F- exactly. Like the, the man can do whatever he wants. Um, the reason people... I mean the big thing with it is there's everyone been very tasteless about the fact that they think they're not going to get a finish to their book series because um he's a man in his 70s um both age and weight (laughs) um that's untrue that's untrue on the weight thing but he's a large gentleman in his 70s and so everyone's like he's gonna die before he finishes it but at this point i'm quite sanguine about it (laughs) <laughs> but yes, wild cards, incredibly successful thing, and so the the, the um, Brian Clark, who was writing this, he was really he was really up on his shit <laughs> yeah. for the time, I would say. Yeah, Melinda M. Snodgrass, you mentioned earlier, yeah. um, is mentioned in this article as well because uh, as one of the writers of wild cards, so presumably she's sort of she'd be, gone up through the ranks over the years. Yeah, she's probably I would say she'd be the she'd be the one doing all the editing work now. Yeah. And the other one that's mentioned is Temps, which is another um, anthology series. And this one, speaking of people that went on to be really famous, it doesn't. The article doesn't even mention um, <laughs> that it's devised by Neil Gaiman. <laughs> like Neil Gaiman's oh, name is on the front cover of the book, but it's like he's not even notable enough at this stage to warrant a mention in the magazine. I mean, he's done Sandman at this point, or at least he's. I was going to say, like, surely by '92, Neil Gaiman had done some yeah. stuff. But this this article in particular is kind of generating on the idea of the sort of shared universe idea, and therefore yeah. that's what they're concentrating on, not the not the authors themselves. It's more it, the actual yeah. sort of how the how the theme of this ties into. It is it is hard to get your head into that into that space because like while this guy was 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 a hip enough cat to know who George R. R. Martin was before he even wrote the first word of a song of ice and fire, um, maybe. Uh, Gaiman was more in the comics side of things, and he just didn't, just wasn't on his radar, maybe. Yeah, or just might be just someone who is just always about. Therefore, it's not 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 uncommon that he would have meant something. There is a point that he makes in this article of the separation between sci-fi fans and comics fans at yeah. this time, mm-hmm. where you know the sci-fi fans read the books rather than the comics. The superhero fans read the comics, didn't bother with the books, yeah. and so Interesting. Yeah. yeah, in his if Brian M. Clark is in that mindset and he's firmly on the sci-fi books side, then he's more likely to know George R. R. Martin at this stage than Neil Gaiman, yeah. who, if you were a comics nerd, you'd probably already You'd be all, be all over Neil yeah, Gaiman yeah. at this point. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, actually, it's worth pointing out. Like the intro to this is, it's an amazing time capsule. Like he he explains like a shared universe is a simple simple idea to create much fun for the authors involved, and in a few cases, even more fun for the readers. And he uses as an example um, one example which should be familiar to most readers is the early Marvel Comics universe, in which Stanley and mm-hmm. and yes Jack Kirby, which is a weird parenthesis to have like. 
have you got something against Jack Kirby? Uh, oversaw the interactions of a multitude of characters in and around New York City and beyond. And I have to say, any sort of Marvel shared universe thing, I, I think that's a non-starter. Like, I, I can't really see... I don't yeah. think George R. Martin's going to come to anything. No. I don't think a Marvel shared universe is going to come to anything. I think these are two things that are just going to fizzle out. Yeah, yeah. So... Brian M. Clark, you know nothing, and you definitely didn't predict two of the biggest cultural phenomena. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, really enjoyable, really enjoyable. This and mm. I, I enjoyed it a lot more than his than his last one, mainly mainly because it's a bit more in my wheelhouse. But just I think again, like the writing flow. That, that that everyone uh, is getting into now it flows so much better it's really nice and easy to read and they just you know they're getting across their ideas and their opinions and it's not abrasive as it used to be mm. um and i really like it i also really like the incredibly eccentric uh decision <laughs> <laughs> to stick a column uh into david ross's interview to to extend it um hang on is that on the double spread ian it oh, is. Of so course. that's why. <laughs> Dickhead. Yeah, so because we're reading on the thing, that's just a bigger chunk of that. It's still a little bit weird to do that. Like, yeah. it's not normal. Uh, or like yeah. it's... It's the, well, it's the old standard. I need you to write me a page and a third of uh, <laughs> yeah. the <laughs> So obviously it went a bit over, but thought we need to. So it's. Yeah, yeah, yeah maybe the David Ross was a little bit under and that was a little bit over, so they've just jabbing them next to each other but yeah it's not as bold a start for the interview like it doesn't make a grab at you the interview yeah when you're reading it through because it's like it starts off with the two-third page yeah. <laughs> which is yeah, like hard. you can't have a nice big banner saying the red dwarf interview you can't have a big picture of david ross no pictures of david ross or any pictures until you've turned over to the next page yeah but hey david ross interview on the plus side of this formatting it means that uh, we can get get this bit out the way before we turn over the page for the rest of the interview. <coughs> there were certain things in the sixties that were just bog standard, and everyone was doing. Yeah, well, the thing is, you say in the sixties, but is this is this? Does he actually talk about the sixties? Because yeah. this sounds like it was First happening. Job. Like, with... I think right, he was. Ta- okay. I think. It- I, yeah, I started it in late November. It'll be thirty years this November, so yeah. November sixty-two. He's talking about. Yeah. Also, 62 being 30 years ago, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> 60 years now, from now. Bloody hell, yeah. <laughs> I was playing a black homosexual called Princess Grace. I didn't even know what a homosexual was then at 17 years old. But there I was, up in Barrow, with my face blacked up for a week. And then we were on to the next play. And as with... as. As with last month's um, fun we had with um, homosexuals and spastics, is what what what's interesting here is the unremarkableness of it. Yeah, at ninety two, only a few years since um, uh, the minstrel show was fucked off. Yeah, because that yeah. was some point in the eighties, probably very close to the end of the like eighty eight, maybe when they finished, and in the sixties. White actors blacked up all the time, <laughs> didn't they? Yeah. I mean, that's just how it was. Classic Doctor Who. <laughs> mm. 
I've obviously I've watched all of classic Doctor Who that exists, and where it doesn't exist, I've, I've watched reconstructions. It was fairly common when they had historical episodes that you'd have non-white characters, but unfortunately, it was very rare that you'd have non-white actors. So throughout sixties Doctor Who, it's just completely normal, standard process. Obviously, you're not going to hire someone who's black to play someone black, otherwise you'd have to have a black person there. So you just hire a normal white person, then none and of them paint them up. None of them are in equity, so you know your hands are tied. Yeah. And yeah. All your favourites, Spike Milligan. Yeah, oh yeah. The Bonzos. Yeah. Vic and Bob. I mean, we're talking, like, come on, we're talking about blacking up as if it's something that is just from. Yeah, yeah, like, just a race. Our, our generation of comedy heroes, a lot of which have blacked up. Vic and Bob, you mentioned, Matt Lucas in Little Britain, David Baddiel in Fantasy Football, Vic and Bob multiple times, <laughs> uh, Harry Hill quite a lot. It's only extremely recently like the last 10 years where it's been more or less universally acknowledged that the act of blacking up is a racist thing Mm -hmm. because previously it was considered to be no different from putting on a wig or you know Mm -hmm. someone playing a scouser if they're not from Liverpool or you know that kind of thing and yeah there is certainly no suggestion (laughs) that David Ross is anything other than a lovely cuddly man Mm -hmm. just because he in his very, very first job um, in theatre, trying to break into a career, he blacked up on stage because it would have been completely standard practice. No one would have turned a blind eye. It's just, it's, it's, it's a remarkable thing in that it's worth remarking on. Well, that's the thing, even though they're talking, even like uh, Stephen um, and, and Reeson were talking about their early days in like, in like theatre in like Bradford and having to fucking go on stage blacked up and they were just like almost refusing to do it because it's Bradford yeah. and it was just like mental how they were you know it's still it's still 80s and 90s it was still to, for people to be expected to do it and even like Papa Lazaro rides the line right like he like the, the point of that character is he's meant to make you feel uncomfortable on pretty much every single level and part of yeah. that is it's the strong make, visual that really yeah you're meant to be constantly sets you off thinking, on a bad far already yeah, yeah yeah you're meant to be thinking Oh, I don't know, man. Is this racist? I don't know. I literally, I don't like, what, know. What is going yeah, yeah, on with this yeah. guy? What is it? What is it? <laughs> what the fuck is going on? What and is the fuck is that? What is <laughs> that fucking that and, demon? Yeah. And the last yeah. time Papa Lazarus appeared on our screens in a new thing was 2018. So, you know, there's. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I think. I think what what what's most pervasive about this, I think, is taking work away. From black yeah. actors, from Asian actors. This was it. That, that's it. It's like, oh, like we couldn't yeah. possibly, like, like you said, it, like we couldn't possibly fucking, you know, cast. Yeah, I have a black man. Someone of color to play someone of color. It's like, yeah. you can't and when they that. did, <laughs> when they did, such as in yes. Tomb of the Cybermen. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of examples from early Doctor Who where, hooray, <laughs> more diverse casting. Oh, oh, he's playing a mindless savage. They're <laughs> playing yeah, they're savages. They're just thugs or hard men who can't mute so many of them are mute yeah so yeah we'll have a black person here but we're not gonna let them talk kind of a caribbean accent in our television program no let's just have people from the fucking bbc pretending (laughs) so the interview's off to a stormer yeah that thankfully is the last (laughs) contentious thing i think the rest of it is just lovely David Ross being lovely just, and yeah, I, I, reminiscing and oh you know I did I did I did a television and then that's when I, I met Robin Dug and yeah. they, they did a they're very lovely very lovely and the way he always just he talks about Robert but Robert is doing <laughs> yeah. his own thing like oh god 
I've just in my notes, I've just got job. David Ross once again showing what a humble and lovely person he is, and like that is just that's just obvious from like all the interviews we've seen um, on like doc, on the DVDs and stuff. Um, yeah, and it's just it's just obvious what a nice person he is. And it's so funny, like to me, David Ross is like the quintessential love, and I don't yeah. think I necessarily knew that he was from a working class background or from Blackburn. Um, yeah, a working class northern twat, as he yeah. calls himself. So at no point does he say when he went to Rada, you know, and became legit, because obviously he would have had to have been legit. Maybe being legit is you you are legit once you've blacked up. <laughs> So he was asking. He was asking Craig and Danny if they if they'd ever blacked up. Um, well, no, he's definitely he's gone. Yeah, like you say, he went to Ryder and then did the thing of appearing in rep and building his way up and eventually performing at the national and and stuff like that. That is, that's the epitome of legitness. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, uh, treading yeah, you've the done board. Your ti- you've done your time in the regions. You've treaded the boards. Yeah. So you've you've worked your way up. God, he's great, and he loves Robin Doug. He fucking loves Robin Doug. <laughs> yeah, that's obvious. Yeah, he talks about wrinkles, although not by name. He said there was a there was a, a radio program they wrote set in an old folks home. I showed up and read the lines for. <laughs> yeah, I love doing radio because you don't have to learn the lines; you just turn up. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is the money's shit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I want, I, yeah, I want to see and hear this interview. Is yeah. my only criticism. Yeah. <laughs> I want it. I want the David Rossness. Yeah, he's the sort of person you could you could listen to. Like in our last podcast, talking about Peter Ridsdale Scott, is the sort of person mm. you would just be able to listen to forever because you just know they've got tons of stories and they're so effusive and engaging when they're telling them. The closest we get is the documentary for series two on the Body Snatch Collection. Yeah, that's the closest thing we do to have to anything like that. Where it's yeah, where you get, a, but you David do Ross get a real him. sense of him, though, don't you? Like, because I think at the time we were a bit like, like David, like we always thought, like I don't know, like David Ross had just kind of disappeared somewhere, or like he was mm. close to shuffling off or something. But yeah, I didn't realize David Ross was like, I like when it when it came to like, oh, Crichton was David Ross originally. I was like, oh, what? Why is he so special? And then it's like, only do I know about like Robin Doug's involvement with other stuff that he's done, which is why he's involved. Um, but yeah, it is a, it, it, when you realise how much of a fucking storm that that one character has in that one episode yeah. and took the roof down with a single fucking joke that was like literally a, <laughs> you know, a steam stealer. Um, sorry, a scene stealer. And then, um, <clears throat> yeah, it was a... Uh, it was just yeah, it was just it, it's just one of those things where it's like yeah, he is actually really good. It's a shame he's not in it more because you know he would have been a, he would have been a good extra character. He would have been a good you know Tony Hawk's esque dude who would just turn up and yeah, you know he's sort of like I think Richard O'Callaghan has kind of taken on that mantle. I think as the sort of the yeah. extra that keeps appearing. But there's glimpses even in this interview. He, he says if you were asked to go back to Red Dwarf, would you do it? And he was, he's just yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. like he'd, he'd either play the toaster again, or he could do another character. He could be the zany. He wants to be zany. <laughs> it's interesting yeah. this because, like, yeah, I feel like he he wants to go off and do Robin Doug stuff when he wants to be fun, doesn't he? Like that's the yeah. Fun. But he is he does seem conflicted about it because he talks a lot about about Robert um, taking the Crichton role. who's clearly like gutted about that as well mm. um, and but but about how 
obviously all he could do was something different. He could never, you know, mimic. No. And then he also also um there's a question about him coming back to do Crichton. And he says that he wouldn't be able to do that either because he'd be mimicking himself. But then he doesn't really yeah. have that opinion about Torquay. Um and obviously we know he doesn't have that opinion about Torquay because twenty five years later <laughs> he returned. <laughs> yeah. And, and in some cases, literally repeating what he'd done in 1991. <laughs> or, yeah, either that or original recording was used. I'm still yeah. not sure. See, it makes sense to me because it, I think the difference being that if another person had come and done Torquay in the intervening years, then he wouldn't have gone back to do Torquay. No. But because Robert had made Crichton his own, it wouldn't go back. I, mean, I thought that was really nice way of saying, like, it yeah, wouldn't. Yeah, the the audience identify with Robert as Crichton. What I did was good, but it was just a little one-off, and he is now the one true Crichton. I'm paraphrasing. That's not what he says, but yeah, yeah like it, like he'd handed over the Crichton baton. This is uh, what I mean about still... humble. Like actors aren't this humble. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, um, but he genuinely. Well, seems... maybe uh, yeah, maybe this is the. The public facing yeah, version. Uh, <laughs> Maybe yeah. behind this. Oh, that bastard Llewellyn. <laughs> How dare he? When he's a few I ought chins, to black up. <laughs> when he's a few chins deep. But but yeah, and, and uh, he makes it pretty clear that he was he was upset about the clash. Um, and it is just yeah. one of those one of those unfortunate things. And like this, something about the recording days had stopped. Like they were they were going into their now familiar week long recording thing. Um, oh, it was that previously the actual studio date was a Sunday, um, and which was his day off from the theatre. Right, yeah. But then it moved to being midweek, and therefore clashed with being at the yeah. theatre. Presumably, yeah. spreading the, the 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 familiar thing of spreading the pre-records out from like Wednesday onwards or something, which, mm. which is what we know yeah. was ha- did done with it. Well, what he was basically proposing is is what Norman proposed for series three yeah. that he'd just turn up for the studio date and, and not do any of the rest. But that would have been impossible. <laughs> like it would have been bad for a computer that's just a head on a screen to do that. Yeah. But for for a character who has to actually walk about and be in all the fri- all the scenes and do lots of for the blocking speeches. and everything. and also yeah. the makeup, which takes <coughs> you know four or five hours to prepare. Yeah, like the logistics of that is. I believe this this number now because I remember we heard it might have been on the Body Snatcher doc where he says it took eight hours for for David Ross to get into. Is it is it eight hours? He says here. He says nine hours here. Nine hours here, but I think maybe eight hours has been quite. But either way, well, things yeah. eight or nine once, hours. So yeah, it's it's like they haven't done it before, and that includes taking the cast of his face as well. Yeah, which is obviously what yeah, in, encompasses that. When it's Robert saying four hours, they've already done the cast. They've already done them. They didn't sculpt it on his head. They sculpted it before it went on his head. But with yeah. Crichton and David Ross, it might have been a, a bit of a, a either or thing. thing. Yeah. yeah. It's it's. I mean, I, I I was just thinking about about that day that he would have had his his studio day because maybe he did it all in one day. He must have done it all in one day. Now that I think you, about yeah, it, yeah, think so. Um, yeah, and getting up at like God knows what time in the morning, spending eight hours in the chair, but then your day starts. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then it you ends have to come in front of the audience. Yeah, like presumably doing some pre-records, and then and then the audience in the evening. As a as a cherry on the top of your fucking awful day, oh god! Yeah, because all the the montage of him cleaning was all done before the audience got in. Yeah. So yeah, that must have been squeaky bum time. 
that sort of setup. Mm. Yeah. It sounds horrible. <laughs> also, you can, if you if you've ever had to wear anything like a balaclava or anything on your head, and you do anything particularly strenuous, and your head just sweats, can you imagine? <laughs> wearing what is essentially just like an all-round fucking, you know, the most like wearing like basically fabric. a helmet and then running around on the floor, scrubbing and running around and doing all sorts of, <laughs> yeah. like you would be ridiculously hot. <laughs> it's just, yeah. it sounds like hell. <laughs> well, yeah, it's no wonder that, frankly, that Robert Llewellyn ended up in hospital the last time he did it at the age of. I can't believe that Robert has stuck it out as long as he had to. Honestly, it's absolutely insane. Yeah. I'm going to say that if it wasn't for the Grand Nella production clusterfuck, the main reason why I would possibly predict that we'd have no more Red Dwarf is that I, I think it might kill Robert Llewellyn one day if he keeps yeah. doing it. Like, if he just can't do that anymore, then you don't have Red Dwarf. So Unless yeah. you can do some sort of clever motion tracking thing, which would be, yeah. Oh, God. Do, yeah. do the That's Marvel, the only the way Marvel to do thing. I mean, like head replacement is definitely something that is doable, but not the kind of budget. Lot of not legally. <laughs> but anyway, it's just a lovely interview. If if you're not following along, if you're not reading along, do yourself a favour and and do do so for this because it's just it's just yeah. nice. Yeah. And now that they've they basically they've finished all the main people, they've mm. done all the current cast. They've done Robin Doug, and now they're doing these extra people. It's more interesting to us because we don't hear from David Ross as often. We certainly yeah. don't hear it in much depth stuff about David Ross himself, just about his contribution to Red Dwarf. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. From nice. this point on, the interviews are only going to get better and better. I think. I just can't fucking wait for Mel Bibby. Well, in the meantime, quick little advert. Technically, an advert for an external thing, but it looks like it's just been made in house. Nice. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm <laughs> tweeting this out on 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 my Twitter because I. I I love this. This is like it's a mess. The on sale now over the Awugas. I mean, surely that should have gone. <laughs> the fact that the co- the episode covers themselves are cropped what on the wonk. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and so, like the Noel Gay logo on Byte Two is chopped off. The text underneath you can just barely see. I like the colours. I like the um. I like the font. Font's nice. What font is that, Danny? The rounded one. Font's that. I don't know. I do have it. I think we've had this advert in a previous um, magazine, or something similar. We've had a similar. We have. We've yeah. definitely had a video advert. Know that for a fact. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it probably is the same one. But I hadn't noticed the cropping before. <laughs> no. I think because we, we talked about how was that done in back in the day. Like, how would you cut out the pictures? And I feel like, like ba- and balancing pictures and then like running them through some sort of scanner. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how they do also, that stuff. Also, yeah. the certifications, the PGs. They weren't in the top left, were they? They were top, but bottom right is the standard place for those. I know, I'm wrong. All of them did. All of them. Fucking all of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well that that I am spectacularly wrong. Is it another minus two? Yeah, fuck. So we'll move on. Well, if you want to see a slightly more professional-looking advert, turn over because uh, there is an actual advert. Uh, but again, it is for Fleetway. I don't quite understand it. I don't know what Morton J3 is, but I assume it makes sense if you're a 2000 AD fan. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I have to say about that. Bye now. And then we have something that is inevitable with any <laughs> comedy tie-in spin-off. You have to have, at some point, a spoof TV listings page. It's just the law. Before Charlie Brooker. Yeah. Issue 7, they did well to hold mm-hmm. out. Yeah, they did. 
I feel like they ran out of ideas. Or not run out of ideas, but they didn't have enough ideas. There's a lot of androids. Yeah. And even ones that aren't androids, there's android jokes in it. My favourite joke in it is that it's just a new series of Wogan. Yes. After, three, after 300. Because Wogan will never die. <laughs> not in my heart. And a fucking press gang. <laughs> you want to date yourself. At least, at least it was. At least it's still known today, isn't it? Press gang. So, yeah. yeah. Well, because because of Stephen Moffat, there's a dig at the BBC <laughs> back after it, Doctor Who back as promised after its short hiatus. <laughs> at this point, In presumably they're, they're realizing that this is not going to be a short hiatus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, it'll it'll happen. You'll have the movie in three It'll years. Hologrammatic Time Lord. Again, that idea. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, Doctor Who being dead is an interesting idea. And also the idea of um, just perpetually bringing back an old Doctor to be the Doctor. I mean, yeah, imagine that. An old Doctor coming back. How <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous. But only the old favourites. <laughs> I actually kind of like the pacing of this, actually, because it does kind of start off with sort of just general jokes. And then there's like the Android has got a joke running through where it's like neighbours with the one o'clock and then the five o'clock repeat. And then yeah. the, then the next episode, the advanced well, showing of tomorrow's episodes later on. And then be, spin-off episodes. <laughs> I might be misremembering this, but advanced showings did exist in some instances. I honestly don't. I don't know if they did. I don't think they do. I don't think it rings, they. It rings something. I, I know. Brain. I know. Obviously, like the, now, I've noticed that TV shows seem to like can't wait for the next. I don't know why I'm doing Australian accent just because it's fucking. Can't wait for your <laughs> next fucking episode. You fucking impatient bastard. Yeah, like get you, back in the fucking vehicle. Like, like <laughs> UK TV's scheduling decision basically leading it into a near nervous breakdown. That song. <laughs> well, more commonly, the direct comparison is Hollyoaks. Um, after right. each episode of Hollyoaks airs on Channel 4, the following day's episode airs on E4. So yeah. basically you can choose to watch it at either yeah. pace, basically. But you only get yeah. the advantage of that on one day, don't you? It's like a yeah, yeah, that's game, it. Right? Yeah. Got, yeah, then you've got to skip a day in order to... Yeah, unless <laughs> yeah. you want to just then behind... If you know, you, if you know you're going to be out the next day... Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose. But I don't know whether that's something that existed back when this was written. I can't picture when you had limited number of channels and number of hours yeah. uh, that channels broadcast, I can't picture there being an advanced showing of something at like half 12 at night that was going to be on the next day. I think that's a joke yeah. of the, the running thing yeah. of the yeah. Android. That, that this channel that, is just being like, padded out with Androids. <laughs> yeah. And indeed, this column is being padded yeah. out by Androids. And then the simulants, which is amazing. The new soap opera from the producers of Androids. This week, Jeff rips Martin's head off his shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> My... it? Yeah, it's like Androids After Dark. <laughs> Another Hollyoaks thing. Yeah. Um, my favourite is Whoops, Vicar, There Goes My Groinal Socket. <laughs> Me- mechanoid comedy from the makers of hologram classics Both Feet in the Grave and After Death Do Us Part. That's, I mean, nice. That nice jokes, nice jokes. Both, foot, yeah. both feet it's in fine. the grave. Yeah, this is again. It's nothing groundbreaking or, or you know nothing to write home about, but it is better than most of the fiction that yeah. we've had, most of the prose fiction that we've had so far. And it's you know, it's a bug standard thing. Like I remember the Fast Joe book having a TV listings spoof and not nine o'clock news. All their books, like yeah. all of their books, I think had radio time spoofs and like every single spin off, every yeah. single tie in. Yeah, you had to have your yeah, radio time spoof. So. Yeah, family, I believe, has done that. Many yeah, times. league's done it. Mm. And then, like I say, Charlie Brooker TV go home. 
Is it yep. Can We Go Home? Which yeah. is, yeah. Which was yep. the start, wasn't it, really? Yeah. It was. Well, it was the thing that got him noticed. Yeah. Saved from the world of video games journalism. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, like, uh, again, just glomming onto the pot noodles are horrible attitude of Robin Dunn. <laughs> pot noodles aren't horrible. They're fine. They are fucking delicious. They so. do the job. I like I like the way that the futuristic version of pot noodle is just to call it pot noodle international. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think they're very good for you, but I mean, they are fucking delicious. And delicious and good for you do not have to be the same thing. It's true. Yeah. When I was little, I used to use teletext to check TV listings. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and the last thing on every channel was always close. Um, because channels used to close down at uh-huh. that point, they went twenty four hours. I thought it was a program called Close, ah, like as in it was like Brookside, Brookside uh, after dark. <laughs> it was the world's first simulcast, yeah, on every, but a slightly different time on every major channel. <laughs> it always had, uh, yeah, the theme tune. It was, uh, it went like da 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 da. <laughs> controversially changed the lyrics to that recently <laughs> yeah, more woke bullshit <laughs> but yeah obviously before that 35 minutes of android porn <laughs> <laughs> this must have been very early days of satellite porn oh, okay. <laughs> subscription yeah 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 someone someone like bought television into X, was that Murdoch's even thing empire in yeah i guess everyone would have been subscribed to watch the footy I think receiving satellite in these days, you would literally receive everything from yep. the continent as well. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. I remember depending like, on where you point your, your dish. Yeah. yeah, but I remember something that was very useful as a early teenager was deep, deep down, like not in any of the manually stored channels, which were all you know Sky One, Sky Movies, Sky Sports. But if you just scrolled about enough, you would find German porn. Yeah. My, on the daily. My th- this isn't um, a story about porn. Um, I'll, I'll mention this now. yet because my my uncle John. Oh, hang on. He he was he was an early. This is why I'm saying he he was an early adopter. Of, he had the uh, wrong guy, <laughs> and he figured out that if you pointed the dish, like because the dish would be installed and pointed in the correct location to get yeah. to get the UK satellite. But what he uh, did was attach a um, a window mirror, car window thing to it. Yeah. So an electric one. So he just, he had a button in the house. The wire ran all the way <laughs> to the thing, and he'd press it, and it changed the, the dish, pointed to another thing. And he would nice. find German channels that would be showing uh, films like on a free free to air for whatever reason. So he's watching films that you would normally have to pay Sky Movies for on German channels. Also, he, he like we have a we have German side of the family, and so. To, um, my uncle John was basically out, um, in Alvida Saint Pet for real in the seventies, uh, and his brother mm. David stayed over there, and so he was keeping up on his German and everything, like watching German TV. And do you know what? He probably watched some German porn. So I'll just, but <laughs> but but when I was little, I was basically like, oh my god, my uncle John is a mechanical genius because he's just he's hooked this thing up and he can just get whatever fucking channels he wants like German, Italian, Spanish that yeah, is very really cool, very cool. That's nice. yeah. next Ref Dwarf not Red Dwarf no, you, think. <laughs> no you and Skeletor think put, put, the, put the D like correct this and 
that is basically the perfect red dwarf logo i think i like the the way it's cut out it goes into the background like that mm. fight me i would say the ellipse is too small for the size of text to be the perfect red dwarf logo but I, it's all right i like i i like that though i like the text being a little bit more like that daddy are you having a moment yeah just do you hate it no Okay. I don't really have strong opinions either way, to be fair. Oh, you liar. <laughs> um, oh, this is, again, though, it's just like the Euro-style font that they're using here. It's so... It just looks nice. Like, so, someone yeah. someone has come in that knows how to lay out, or someone has learnt some things about laying out. Um, it, it really looks I'll nice. lay you out in a bit. <laughs> so, in the same way that the other one was like basically like a, a, a breakdown of the monsters and stuff, this is just a character. Mm-hmm character biography mm. but kind of really like there's there's some interesting stuff where there's really good attention to detail um, like for I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example so in the occupation section though having put in 500 requests for sick leaves in just 8 months all due to diarrhoea my brain went where did they get the 8 months from and then I realised uh, it's when it's all from balance of power and obviously mm. Holly's reading out uh, Lister's thing about uh, 500 requests for diarrhoea but in that same episode, he then says to Rimmer, you've been with the company for 15 years and I've been with them for eight months. Yeah. And it's like that low level of detail where like, he just pulled all this information that we've had so far into one little nugget is really fucking well done. Mm-hmm. It's, it's contextualising yeah, all these yeah. little bits of knowledge. Um, we get the supermarket trolley attendant, which I believe yeah. is a book thing. No, that's also about power. Because right. he didn't mm. want to get tied down to a career. Ah, that yeah, was it. That's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the yeah. So that all that all that section there is all from kind of one episode, but um but yeah, it's just it's it's just really well kind of it's just very succinct. Mm. It's again yeah. it's the same thing, it's what Alton and I are good it's, at. Yeah, it's, it's pulling everything together into something that's really like... <laughs> that reads so well without any fat on it. This is their early draft programme, Gaz. It is, it's, it's, it's practice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's an attempt to like you say, collate every single bit of information that we've learned and build a full character approach. It's like detective work almost. Yeah. Of going through all these different sources and piecing it all together. It's really good. One of my favourite publicity shots as well. Um, oh, list on the on the bike. Yeah, on yeah, the bike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was used a lot around the, the DVD. On your bike. On your bike. I think I might be on the back of it. Well, no, it probably isn't. Stop guessing things. Um, <laughs> now then, is Rastabilly Skank... A person or a genre? Animal, vegetable, mineral. <laughs> because we've actually had this exact argument bargument on the forums. So yeah. they're thinking Rastabilly is in the same sort of... Rockabilly. Um, so yeah, Rockabilly mm. and Rastabilly. So Rastabilly is... So like Rastabilly Skank is like saying, I like like I like punk rock. I like Rastabilly. Okay, so yeah, you Rastabilly, but Rastabilly seems like as if it's a like rockabilly, like a saying, it's a, it's a it's a genre. But Rastabilly Skank is that? Yeah, I used to think Rastabilly Skank was a person. That was that was what that, that was what I originally thought to believe it was. I've never ever thought of Rastabilly Skank as anything other than a specific person yes. slash artist until that conversation erupted on our forum a few yeah. months ago. And now here we are. <laughs> I wonder if someone's and been reading the head. Are. Yeah. Um, but yeah, lowercase. It clearly says Lister's favourite genre of music is Rastabilly Skunk. And yet, and yet, a few pages earlier, yeah. in the on the letters page, <laughs> there was a letter 
written in by someone calling themselves Rasta Billy Skank. Three words, all capitalised. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> that was their name. So all it is is all these different interpretations of what Rob and Doug wrote. So the only person yeah. that can settle this. Add it to the list of questions that we'll ask Rob when we finally get to interview him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should wait until we've finished everything. <laughs> yeah. like all the magazines, all the DVDs, everything, and just, just go through. It's like, Mr. Grant! Mr. Grant! <laughs> <laughs> when you said Chinzano Bianco, did you mean <laughs> yeah. it was a hard stain to shift? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Grant, when you were typing on the typewriter, did you type the words that Doug told you to, or did you just do it? yourself <laughs> <laughs> Mr Grant <laughs> after a long hard day of being sued by Doug Naylor do you like to unwind with a nice relaxing poo a nice relaxing sue <laughs> <laughs> right um, my my vote still goes to it's an artist it's a person because we're in the original, is it Balance of Power? When he's listening to it and yeah. whoever comes in and says, What's that? He's like, I was rested with a skank. I would, like, if someone came in and I was listening to ACDC yeah. and they said, What's that? I said, It's ACDC. I wouldn't say, It's it's hard rock from the 1970s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You, you wouldn't know, yeah, it's rested with a skank. Yeah, what's this? What untitled is this din? It's like, Oh, it's 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 my favourite artist. Yeah. Yeah, see, I wouldn't yeah. say this is a specific genre of music that I know you hate. Also, like, is this is this it? Oh, this is a you know, it's got government health warning on it. Like, you know, it's like, is it, and it's a classic. Like, is it like uh, yeah, a classic uh, album? Yeah, not a classic yeah, genre. Yeah, exactly. Um, like, uh, and also the discussion album, with yeah. Ace Rimmer in Dimension Jump. It's like you know, what music do you like? Because he wants a specific song to. <sighs> To G mm. him up, and he's like, "Oh, I like Rastabilly Skank." Yeah, I wouldn't say, "Oh, I like eighties glam metal." <laughs> it's like, yes. Uh, on the other hand, that one <laughs> I can see someone like, "What kind? What? Mm. What? What does Ace actually say? Does he say what's your favorite song or what's your favorite music, Dave?" See, I could see someone replying to that with a genre. Yeah. What's your favorite music? I'm into yeah, hair I'm metal, into punk rock, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. The anyway, out, it's a question that is unanswered, and we will never know the true answer. We'll put it. We, we will until we, yeah. until we go to Rob Grant's house, and bug him about everything. He his house is already bugged anyway, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> By Father Dick Burr. <laughs> uh, and so, and so we're very nearly at the end of the magazine, and yet, and yet, here's the big original comic strip. Yeah. Yeah, which I wasn't ready for. I didn't think that. I thought, and I've done, I've completely flipped. When we did the uh, oh, what's coming up next on the last uh, Dwarfcast, yeah. I had it in my head that Jake Bullet was going to be the strip, and Fashion Victims was going to be a An article. article. This is the equivalent of the episode Crichton. It's like it's found all its feet and it's taken it up to the next level. It's def- a definite mm. step up in this. Having said that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that keen on, on on this strip, to be honest. It's a bit deranged. <laughs> yeah, when they initially have the cat with Lister being basically his servant and he enters his sex room and has all these women in there 
and then it reveals that it's a dream on the dream recorder. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's fair enough. But then to do that again, (laughs) to have the punchline of the whole uh, comic strip being it was just a dream, it's a little bit cheap. Do you know what? I'm going to have to disagree because I wasn't expecting it. You yeah. I actually didn't know. I didn't really see that coming at all, and it genuinely surprised me. Having been given to us already, it should have been obvious, but yeah, it wasn't, and I didn't spot it at the end. And I was like, "Oh fuck it, that was, oh you bastards!" So I was quite, I was pleasantly surprised by the fact that they actually did it again. I thought it was quite clever. Oh no, that was all a dream. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> Baldrick, who gave you permission to turn into an Alsatian? <laughs> oh, it's yeah. a dream. <laughs> I mean, the thing, is, the thing is, the problem is with Red Dot. The problem with, with the cat as a character is there's not much character to him. No, you can't. Lister, there's much. a lot you can do with Rimmer. There's a yeah. lot you can do with Crown. There's a lot you can do with the cat. There's not a lot mm. you can do with the cat. It's very, it's very shallow. I mean, literally, mm. you know, that's that's the point, I suppose. Really, there isn't much to and it. And that's why after seventy something, seventy four episodes, we we've yet to have a pure. Cat-based episodes. We've come close a couple yeah, of times. Yeah, even ones that actually done it. It's usually the most fucking banal thing. Like the cat needs a shit. The cat needs, needs to wear glasses. It's yeah. that. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's those little. That, that's that's as far as we can go with that character. And it just. Yeah. It, what I like about this is that it it suggests that whenever the cat is using the dream recorder, <laughs> the Rimmer likes to get on his exercise bike at the same time. Yeah, it's obligatory. <laughs> Maybe Rimmer is powering the dream recorder in some way. Yeah. I see this as being that Just... this is the same day as him watching the Tongue Tied. Do you know what? Because all of this is happening at the same time. He's watching the dream record and he's going through. Oh no, this isn't the one. And it's like that's the like he's, he's, he's that's the. So this is a prequel. Looking. This is a prequel to Parallel Universe. Yeah. It should yeah, yeah, yeah. like go straight into him watching Tongue Tied. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. that'll be the ending. Yeah. Yeah, although Rimmer's wearing <laughs> different different out, he's not wearing his yellow. Um... They're all wearing different outfits, but it's just an interpretation. It's a future Echoes strip. It's all, all a dream, anyway. Outfits. It's all a dream. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's all a dream. Fuck it off. <laughs> There's a matter of taste <laughs> to be discussed around the the robots coming to requisition suits in order to <laughs> in order to provide it to a to a war torn country and like having it all as a as an an analogy for a starving country and coming and you know i don't know raiding places for food and stuff mm. it's a weird one <laughs> there's not a lot of humor to it really it's a it, 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 it it's almost it's almost taken a screeching turn into something a bit more bleak and it could be sustained for quite a while if they wanted to go down that but no it's just a throwaway you know gag yeah. and it's just yeah. so weird i don't dislike that aspect yeah. of it that it does go a bit dark and a bit weird and the, the art is really interesting mm. and striking good use uh, of colours it's really well drawn well coloured yeah uh, the the robot though <laughs> the big robot fella that turns up has a badge <laughs> saying Nick Fari Franklin <laughs> didn't spot that now is that the Nick Fari fan club or is that Nick Ferry from the Bangalore? <laughs> Why not both? Yeah, it's alright. It's, yeah. it's a comic strip and it's, it's original. Harmless, I'd say, is, yeah. the, is the main thing about it, which by the some of the standards that we've had of fiction yeah. in past magazines is an improvement. 
Yeah. Um, I I would say this is... Yeah, like you say, it's all developing. It's all coming together. We're we're a few steps away from something actually good. (laughs) Well, I I would say that everything in this mag, at the very least, earns its right to be there. Mm. Not necessarily that, you know, it's all barnstorming, but it's all got a good reason to be there. It all flows, it all fits, um, and none of it is really bad <laughs> so yeah <laughs> none of it's actively offensive so well done so that's pretty much it all that remains is a little plug for subscriptions mm-hmm. 18 pounds for a full year subscription that sounds so <laughs> lovely yeah, and cheap when you put it like that yeah. <laughs> it's only one pound 50 an edition which is astonishing i mean obviously inflation etc yeah yeah but even so like for, for a monthly magazine at the time one pound 50 was pretty cheap yeah that's pretty good and to be able to like for 18 quid that's like a a modest birthday present for, for someone that's all right have you started buying kids magazines yet ian not on a regular basis, but we pick them up every now and then. Right, I was gonna, I was gonna say, like, make sure you're sitting down when you see the prices on the fuckers. Yeah. <laughs> um. And yeah, we. I mean, I've just bought a six months subscription to Good Food magazine for the mother-in-law for a birthday, and that is yeah, six months for thirty-six quid. I think it was, um, mm. which is a lot of money. But it's good magazine. Doctor Who magazine nowadays is like i think six quid is the default mm. but is much bigger than this magazine of course so it's like it's yeah it's much more feature packed i know for a fact that at the time the beano was 28p and that was weekly and wow. about the same size like about the same amount of content as uh as magazine so that's crazy that's the content yeah yeah and on the same page as that, which is a very nicely designed page, I'd say, with the little cut-out thing going across. Yeah, look at that. Like, good contrast between the text and the background as well. Yeah. <laughs> Actually read They're learning. And then there's just the next issue preview, so uh, let's go through. Let's see if if you sit, if you think that the, uh, <laughs> the quality will continue to improve or not based on these uh, teasers. <laughs> Arnold J. Rimmer, more life, more diaries. Could go either way. Depends who's writing it. Peter Rag, special effects. We got him. I think that's going to be. I, fun I hope that's it. a good lesson, Joe. So I want nice. I, want I have. I have only just realised that I accidentally referred to him as Mel Bibby early on, earlier on in the episode. Oh, I thought you were just predicting that there no, would be no, a Mel Bibby no. interview later. I on. fucked it. <laughs> I fucked it. Uh, Future Echoes Part Five: The Conclusion at Last. Right. So it is absolutely the end of it. That's that is going to be the yep. end. Of it. We'll be happy that... That's what it says here. We've got it wrapped up. Nice. Mr. Flibble's surprise. Mega violence with everyone's favourite penguin pal. Flip a coin. Flip a coin. <laughs> Don't know. This, is the, this is the beginning of Mr. Flibble as a as a cult icon, though, isn't it? Or like an icon yeah. within yeah. fandom. It's going to be interesting to see the early seeds of that at the very least. Yeah, it's very weird because there's, there's not... Oh, I don't know. I say that and then I was like, realised that Mr. Flibble's like one of those things where... It took off in a big way. Talky Toaster, yeah, that took off in a big way. I'm trying, like, there's been other characters and stuff like Snacky and stuff that hasn't really taken no, off. No, poor Snacky. Yeah. <laughs> Snacky is very much is very much a yeah. Like Snacky is very much the chameleon of Red Dwarf. Yeah, like shoved in a cupboard. No one gives a fuck anymore. Uh, also, next issue, alphabetical quiz. Dog shit. 
The A to Z of questions as we test your knowledge letter by letter. Fucking awful. Worst thing ever. (laughs) The Red Dwarf cut out action set. No, on second thoughts, that sounds too silly. Oh, I thought that was going to be... That would have been great. Yeah. (laughs) I wonder if there's something that, you know, is similar to that or something. All will be revealed in the next Smegazine and indeed the next edition of the Smegazine Rack. Nice. In the meantime... One last thing, it's a picture of the Sensational Reverse Brothers on the back cover. <laughs> it's a good one. It's almost it's almost like a picture of Chris and Robert, isn't it? <clears throat> yeah. If you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that is indeed about it for this edition of the Smegazine Rack. Uh, don't forget to send us your letters about the issue that we've just read or the podcast that you've just listened to. Uh, there's also a caption competition that's still open if you can be bothered going back and finding it. <laughs> Leave your comments over at www.ganymede.tv or you can tweet us. Twitter handle is Ganymede Titan. Okay. So this should give you an idea of the kind of person we're working okay. with. Okay. But until next time, thank you so much for listening. Stay safe, stay happy, stay warm. Staleybridge Railway Station was opened in 1845 and is currently managed by TransPennine Express. It lies on the Huddersfield Line, some seven and a half miles east of Manchester Piccadilly. Michael Portillo visited the Buffet Bar in a 2017 episode of Great British Railway Journeys. And as always... Ed bye, everybody. Ed bye. Thank you for listening to G&T Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye. I'm Ian Symes, here to save you all from terminal uncoolness with my knowledge of all things Smegazine. And joining me, as always, are victims of a severe style famine, Jonathan Capps. Hello. And Danny Stevenson. Hello. You had that on Northern Working Class Twat. <laughs> that was a good point. <laughs> Do you want to change that? And just, yep. <laughs> put, and just put the one we don't use in the bips. <laughs> I'm Ian Symes, a Midlands working class twat, and joining me as always are Northern working class twats, Jenny. 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 If you don't have a physical copy, you can find a link to a PDF in the show notes on your podcast app or at www.ganymede.tv. Oh, you can tweet but us. First, <laughs> but Sorry. first, it's but first, but oh, first, yeah. it's time to take. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <coughs> it was just those two words gone on repeat. Mars bar. <laughs> sorry, sorry. That was Capsie. What did you do? You put him off. I did. Yeah, I need to shut up. Sorry, buddy. But first, it's time to take a trip back in time to this issue's oh. cover date of <laughs> September 1992. Oh, sorry. Oh. <laughs>